Geek Shock. You will regret defying me! For 30 years, you've sat and watched. Red now, it's your turn to enter the 24th century. Star Trek The Experience at the Las Vegas Hilton. This time, it's real. For ticket information, call 1-888-GO-BOLDLY. stuff like that. Yeah. And he was playing around with stuff like that there and He's there. He's still an auteur. He's the man. It's crazy. And then, of course, you know, you go to the end where people are shooting and blood is splashing like a mother. No, it's Peckinpah-esque. Yes, and it's, yes. And it's uh, violence at the end of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I def yeah, so, It's know. an official term, Peckinpah-esque. Mm -hmm. They're Look having J.J. Abrams do the sequel. This is going to be called Django Fett. Unchained. <laughs> Welcome, folks. It's Geek Shock number 178. I am Master Torgo. I'm the famous Paul. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Captain Luddite. And special guests, Vernon Wilmer. And Big Black. And gentlemen, this is going to be a Star Trek The Experience podcast for yes, us. Yes, we are going to reminisce. Which is good because I, I kept I knew I recognized Adam from somewhere, but I couldn't remember what. <laughs> and... Uh, so I'm glad he's here to clear it up. So with all the new Trek information coming out with the new film right on the horizon and, of course, the tons of information surrounding Abrams and his new appointments and the other universes, that would be a good time to talk about our experience. You're talking, experience. of course, Paul, about our artistic integrity, and it's not like we're capitalizing on a on a moment in pop culture history or anything like that's that. That's what I. That's what we do. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> capitalize on pop culture. That's all. That's Have what. You that's never what, listen to the show, Commander. <laughs> we. You're trying to be a part of the media. That's so what the American it. male's yeah. been reduced to. <laughs> a talking head about toys. Well, that's oh, this okay. is what I am now. That head. Gross. All right. Yeah, you, that head. The other head talks, but oh, it's angry. <laughs> well, yours is. No one will listen. No one will listen to that for a half no hour. One no one listens to the little head. <laughs> so, for our listeners, especially all you new listeners out there, uh, every one of us as part of this cast, except for uh, Michael and Adam, uh, were part of the Star Trek experience. And uh, Vernon was there as well. Carl was there, and so we wanted to uh, reminisce and tell you about the Star Trek experiences through our eyes. And uh, Adam is here because he has nothing to do with Star Trek: The Experience, and he is here to keep us level. And I never even not saw it. Get too deep into it. Never Fucker, went to yeah. It. Well, I wasn't in Vegas when it was in town. So, dude, we had people. No, but people talked about it back we in Chicago. We may be able to provide you at yeah. some point with some video footage of it. Yeah, when, there, I, um, when I was in Chicago, people would be like, "If you go to Vegas, you got to check out the experience, the Star Trek experience." Well, yeah, so. it, it, that was that was one of the cool things is that while we were there, people said that's one of the things you got to do. Yeah, um, we were on uh, treasure hunts. Go down and go down to Trek and get a picture of a warp core breach with an alien. And they had no idea what the hell all of that meant. And they'd come running into quarks and they'd be like, what is this and what do I got to do? <laughs> and, you know, Jeff or Darren or someone would wave us over one of the aliens and we'd have to take a picture with people, stuff like that. Also, we the warp core breach and other drinks were listed. And a lot of uh, things you have to sample while you're in Vegas. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that was a drink. Yeah. See? Yeah, the uh, the, uh, the local What's On magazine, which a lot of the casinos co-publish, um, would have, you know, 
you know, while you're here, top five things to do, top five things to eat, top five things to drink. They they do a random one every now and then. And I, at one point, they had the Warp Core Breach was like number two or number three of like the top five drinks to try while you're in Las Vegas. Yep. It says, and uh, the description was something like giant bubbling cauldron of rum. And I was like, well, there's more to it than that. But yes, it is primarily a rum drink. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it uh, it was a very jam. tasty, very <laughs> potent drink. Was one that you would not normally you would taste in. In fact, all the time at the bar, we would have people do this. They would take a sip and they'd be like, "Ooh, this is really good." And then they'd start sucking it down real fast. Whoa. And you're like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 slow down." There's 151 in there. And they're like, "There's 151 in this. I hate 151." <laughs> So yeah, it, the the warp core was always uh, an interesting uh, lubricant for social interaction <laughs> at the bar. So yeah, now find an alien. So now I, mean, I that's, know that's like half the people there, right? Uh, well, well, let's I mean, uh, let's well, back it up a little bit. What would be and, classified uh, as an alien? Who who wants to say exactly what the experience was? Oh yeah, please, someone. Vernon, well, I think, could handle this. Well, more than a theme park or um, an exhibit, it was an all-immersive environment where you could eat, live, and breathe Star Trek. It had two different uh, ride-slash-walkthrough shows, uh, Borg Invasion and Klingon Encounter. It had a recreation of uh, uh, Deep Space Nine's Promenade, where you could shine, uh, uh, shop, dine, and uh, what did they say? And shine. Blast. You can shine there. Shine <laughs> and drink. Uh and, you know, costumed aliens who were completely immersed in the, the language and the culture, cultural mannerisms of uh, whatever they were portraying. You could literally go in there and just pretend if you, you had the ability to suspend, you know, belief, go in there and pretend you were in the 24th century. And uh, let's go around the room and say what you did at Star Trek. I'll start with you, Carl. Oh, jeez. Yeah, you. Um, <laughs> what didn't what you do? I'm trying to think what I didn't do. Um I initially started out there with retail, which lasted me all of what, like two weeks. And then I met this cool dude, at least at the time I would call him Ari. Um, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, asked me to come up and do a reading with the actors. His call on it was, hey, we were short. We need someone to help with the reading. I was like, all right, cool. Went up there and he was like, all right, well, you start on Monday. <laughs> um, so through the course of that, um, initially was hired to do what we called the blue rotation, which where we simulated ticketing. Um, again, that lasted all of like a week and a half. Um, I was scheduled to do blue, and if anyone remembers Jennifer Wallace, uh, she was actually supposed to be Starfleet, and I think we did like one walkthrough on it. She was like, I can't wear that. And she was like, Carl, switch with me. We switched the paperwork real quick. Um, so I ended up doing Starfleet. I think I was actually, if I remember, I was one of the early ones that got cross-trained over from the gold rotation when we used to have them split um, to a maroon rotation, being the different colors that we wore. Yeah, you were rotation slut. You I, were I, everywhere. I was. I and, I and I assume the colors just meant you did different things on the floor. Wow. Um, <laughs> Adam strikes. He wastes yeah. no time. Look at that. Um, <laughs> what, what they kind of meant, we had two different colors that we wore. You wore the maroon costume or the gold costume. We used to call the maroon ones the uh, gravy train because you literally sat on the bridge the whole time and didn't do anything. There was like three of you that nice. walked around in the rotation. Um, so I did those, and then I did what we called our ticketing thing, our janitor rotation, where in the back we did janitor. Um, now, Jander was a character. It actually the, was a character. <laughs> your, your shuttle crashed back into the Hilton. You were greeted by a janitor that would lead you out of the ride. Yeah. 
Um, and then, little known to some people around here, I know that Kirsten knows, um, came into work one day, was told, hey, take the rest of the day off. Tomorrow you're flying out to California. I get out to California to find out that I'm being body molded to be the um, mold for the Borg outfit. So, um, although Michael Hartnick was our first official Borg um, for w- doing our walkthrough, I was the first announced Borg. Um, I was wondering the... why there was so much crotch space in the court <laughs> costume. <laughs> that was airy. That was airy. I used to always get the uh, <laughs> dry out. Was there? <laughs> was it just the one Borg in the show, or was there? No. Um, God, Vernon actually would know. How Sometimes. Many... Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good time. We to had to Vernon. Two Vernon. Yeah. Who are you? Uh, I was a Borg. I was Borg seven of sixteen. Originally, after training, when we were assigned our designations. Uh, I I ended up being 13 of 16. I have a problem with the number 13. Kirsten took pity on me and said, buddy, we'll trade numbers. We're standing in the board changing area, and in comes this neurotic little guy who's like, 13, 13, I'm 13. I can't be 13. (laughs) I do remember that. You're seven. You're seven. Oh, my God, dude. Oh, my God, dude. I I would love you so much if you trade with me, dude. I got to be seven. So, so that's, I became 13. Yes, that's how I became <laughs> 7 of 16. Primary adjunct to Omnimatrix 05. Uh, brought in as a, a, a as a one of 16 Borg for Borg Invasion, which are live Borg characters that chase you through the attraction, uh, which is a, a mix of uh, live action and uh, 3D screen effects. Um, eventually ended up leading the Borg. Uh, Kirsten did that first, then he passed it off to me. And actually was the only Borg to both open and close the show. I had a lot of staying power. That sounds a little like a haunted house almost. Uh, yeah, it was yeah, a it was, science yeah. fiction haunted house. Yeah, yeah. Borg 4D. Invasion was actually at a time considered one of the foremost dark houses by like amateur oh, nice. dark house groups that yeah, yeah. You know, go around. They actually judged this I, as a real formidable dark house. I made cool. so many Asian kids pee their pants, I can't even count. <laughs> I scared a trucker once. <laughs> and then you went to work at this experience. but they needed a standardized board costume that would uh uh, you know in seven pieces that would fit the actors that met the height and weight requirements they based that costume on on carl's body mold well he does have almost the perfect body yeah so i could see why well done you should have seen him 10 years ago and and, and the funny part was is (laughs) (laughs) all right jeff (laughs) would you like to describe it to me in detail this no 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 like part of the reason part of the reason part of the reason carl is called big black (laughs) is because he used to be called big booty carl oh okay Okay. Carl loved him some fried chicken. <laughs> Good old Jeff. Well, you still do, right? I yeah. love fried chicken. <laughs> uh, uh, he was never fat. He was just a little chunkier. Okay. Carl used to blow out the crotch of his Starfleet uniform. Police. They were actually thankful to get him into Borg because he was blowing through Starfleet uniforms like Sherman through Georgia. <laughs> At least with the Borg, he had rubber enforcement. Uh, for those of which you don't did, know, which didn't help. Sherman <laughs> through Georgia has nothing to do with Star Trek. For those of you who are, by, by the way, those costumes were uh, quarter-inch thick slush foam based on scuba gear. It was the most unforgiving, sweaty, uh, unbreathing, heavy costume it, from literally head. 
to toe. Well, it was yeah. the same material that they used in First Contact, right? Is it the, as far as like the thickness and everything? Yes, but that that was actually the mistake they made. Those First Contact costumes were made to last for a fourteen day shoot. Yeah, ours should have been made to last for a five year theme park. We, Never happens. We were told that uh, when we got hired, you will get a new head every three months, a new body every year. Bullshit. Bullshit. We used the same bodies. For the entire five years, Borg Invasion I, was I open. I got a question, actually. Did they retire my head after I left? Uh, the Borg costumes were... Oh, it was no, no. Because if head. you remember correctly, I was the only in, actually, all of Star Trek history colored um, Borg for whatever unknown reason. Not even in the film? Yeah, Not even TV in the film. Borg are supposed to be ashy colored, kind of gray, uh, no blood kind of yeah. power. Yeah, the pigment goes out of their but body. But for and Carl, they made a mask that had a slightish, well, a brother tin tinge <laughs> to it. I had, um, it had an orange. Damon Shaw uh, took well, it on for a while, too. Boards, but, they had but did the, they have white they had or did they? Kirsten, I can't hear you. Damon and Charles were Borg, but did they have conventional Borg? I think at a certain point they changed it. Yeah. uh, Unfortunately, when Michael Westmore retired and left the Borg mask building to his students to send to us. Michael Westmore's guy that did Star Trek. Yes. Michael Westmore. uh, Effects makeup extraordinaire uh, for both the shows, the movies, and the experience. Um, When he retired and left the Borg mask building to his students, they decided that that brother Borg color was the standard color for all the Borg masks. So every time I got a new one in, I'd have to actually paint it white. <laughs> Are you serious? Serious. <laughs> wow. That's pretty funny. That's after my time. Jeff, what did you do with the uh, experience? Uh, I was a. I started off as a server back in uh, 2001, and then uh, shortly thereafter was splitting time between the bar and the restaurant, and then uh, after that I was a bartender full-time. But what he leaves so. out is that he was all around badass. Hell's yeah! <laughs> and and in that situation, are you uh, are you a, a character or are you just in the costume? Well, that's actually that's an interesting story. Uh, we were not considered to be characters in the restaurant. Yeah. Though many of us in the restaurant were actually fans of the series. Yeah. So um, a lot of the the floor aliens would kind of draw us into because they knew that we had at least some knowledge and whether we had improv uh, backgrounds or not, I did not. Yeah. Uh, they would draw us in because they knew that we would be able to at least hold our own with our knowledge of the CV series and so forth. Um, I, uh, Todd Agnello, uh, was, uh, played Bleeg. Uh, he was one of the Ferengi on the station and, uh, uh, who else was, who was that? It was ta- it was Bleeg and Quan were both uh, Jared Formby. Uh, they one day were out on the floor. Uh, Jared played a, another Ferengi named Quan, and they were out on the floor one day, and I, they were looking at my name tag. I was I literally I was fresh to the place. I'd been there maybe a day, yeah. and they're looking at my name tag, and they're like, Jeef. <laughs> All right, Jeef. What I need you to do is go, and, and whatever it was, it was just like. It's like, from then on, I was Jeef. Of course. I was not Jeff. I was Jeef. Well, yeah. And uh, my friend Greg became Grieg <laughs> because they looked at his name tag and they're like, Grieg. Okay. So Jeef and Grieg, we need you to blah, blah, blah. And there, there were a few others that did that. So we essentially became characters. You became props. They're, they're became, uh, yeah, exactly. I became <laughs> props in their, their little stories, which I'm sure yeah. Paul can reference more. You were their but employees. They, yeah. 
Uh, they even made double E name tags for you guys, right? They eventually did, yes. Um, <laughs> I actually did have, um, a few weeks later, a name tag made for me that said J-E-E-F. Nice. And then later on, when I was uh, bartending full-time, we had uh, our names embroidered on our, our uniforms, and mine said Jeef. Oh, nice. So nice. Now, prior to the opening, um, I can state this, because I, I remember when we were being trained in it. Initially, um, they were to be characters. Um Anyone working in retail and working in the bar area were to be Bajoran. And they started us out. We used to wear these clip-on earrings, and they would oh, have, yeah. and they would put a nose piece on us. And that was part of your – when you started out your day, you went in, you got your wardrobe outfit for today. And this is retail, people, retail and you know bar. And you put on a Bajoran nose, and you put on a Bajoran earring. And that was what you were supposed to be. I don't – yeah, what the we earrings like? stayed for some the of the earrings stayed for a, bit. for a while. I know the nose piece and was a, a health department thing because right. you're not allowed to wear makeup or appliances yeah. and, and handle food. food. So right. I know that was part of the reason that the noses went away, at least in the restaurant. Yeah, right. the earrings stayed around in retail for a long time. And I think it became a voluntary thing. Some people who were into it were like, I'll wear it. And other people were like, meh. And if you remember, remember when we first started, it wasn't voluntary. Because that's you, just, know, you that's had a, to wear yeah, it. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. That's a Deep Space Nine thing, right? Yes. yes. Because in that world, that's they the would, ones that would sell that's you. That's a religious right. symbol. No, that's a religious symbol. And I remember okay. we used to have. really weird. Okay. I remember having. Well, it's also, <laughs> it would also represent the family the, oh, their, right. their okay. family line mm-hmm. the various shapes of but it the wasn't earring. demarcation of a merchant no, and the, okay. the Bajorans weren't necessarily a merchant I class never got in, I didn't get into the deep space nine much so well part of it is because um, when I did my training I mean mm-hmm. it, it really kind of got lost along the way as the place went on but when I did my training you are as an employee of corks or the retail department you are essentially an indentured servitude to uh, the Ferengi. Um, employee to the Ferengi. Like the Ferengi, like you, you're... Uh, they own you. Yeah, exactly. Like you you somehow got in a massive debt, like you gambling debts or whatever. So you're working off <laughs> so your... You're, you're a G unchained. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> you're, you're working off your debt to them by working for them in the restaurant. Got it. And then uh, also much later on... Um, one of our regulars, uh, the Klingon brothers, uh, Dan and uh, Robert, they uh, they made us little uh, mobile emitters from the cute uh, replicas of the emergency medical hologram from Voyager. So we were uh, EBHs, emergency bartending holograms, and occasionally we would like we would wear them and say, "Please state the nature of the beverage emergency." So you nice. know, nice, nice. Kirsten, what do you do? Things like that. I was one of the first two actors hired, me and April A. Bear. You can actually tag April to this. That, that would be hilarious. But uh, April and I started, we were hired early <clears throat> after participating in the mass cattle call a few months before. Uh, that's right, over at um, Cash and Field. Cash Field. I remember yeah. doing the Cash and Field yeah. thing. Ari brought us in, um, Ari Levin, who was uh, originally part of uh, the original management team to get the cast together, get the show going. We were brought in to cycle the rides because um, part of the certification of the amusement rides, they need to go through like a thousand cycles of testing before certification from the county. And since the actors were also going to be ride operators, they just figured we'll bring in actors early. And April and I were, were the, the first two in. And so I came in there when that place was still um, plywood and uh, sawdust. 
um, as which is were, all it is now. Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, while they were putting it together, and um, I was uh, originally a trainer. Um, I eventually became an operations lead. Um, I left for a few months. I came back. I was a trainer again. I was an alternate lead. I eventually moved into Borg, which is how I ran into this neurotic guy who couldn't stand to be 13 or 16. And I was the Borg trainer, which was hilarious because for over a year we were stable enough that I didn't train anybody. And nice. I then moved on to uh, Andorian and closed out my last three years there playing Castran, the Andorian, as a walk around. And that was my time there. That's the blue dude. Right? Yes, with the antenna, yeah, which yeah. is really funny because it's right behind you. those are my favorite aliens from Trek. Oh, nice. In Halloween at 11 years old, my mom actually made me an Andorian costume, and I actually was an Andorian for Halloween. Oh, nice. So it actually... Is there a picture of that? No, there oh. is not. So how many times did you have to do those rides while they were cycling them? Um, well, it was funny because we, we actually didn't ride them. We operated them. Ah, okay. So, and it was really funny because at first, you know, literally when you're cycling them, there's no show. You start it and then you sit there and watch the shuttle. <laughs> to nothing for Just the machine exactly, moving Exactly, just moving through its motion profile. <laughs> and then we were part of the syncing of the, the film with, with the, the, the ride. Yeah. And, um, of course, then we cycled the transporter room, the room flying out, and the ceiling coming in for the transporter effect, which was actually uh, uh, one of our hallmarks. Cycling the turbo lift, which was just a, a <laughs> 150-degree turn or something like that, yeah. Vernon. And, and it shakes around and crashes and booms. So, and, you know, we'd, we'd go through all that. And then we were also part of the original... Um, uh, blocking group where they started blocking the show and setting it out and everything and nice. getting all that set together. So that was a uh, it was an interesting time. I remember I remember um, actually meeting most people. I didn't really get to know Jeff until I became an alien. Uh, first time I met Paul, he was a janitor and I was a sim loader. It was like the first time I remember I t me turning uh, the sim over to you because yep. that's what you did. The Starfleet would launch it. Janitor would come in on the platform, monitor the finish of the show while we got ready for the next one, and then they'd take him out. And make sure that you're yeah. standing and watching the monitor at all times. Right. And, and then, reading. of course, there was Carl. Um, Carl, when I was the lead, I really got to know Carl very <laughs> well. Um, it's funny. Some people would style Carl a rule breaker because he's something of an independent soul. I called Carl the rule maker. Because if we didn't have a rule for it, by the time <laughs> Carl was done, we had a rule for it afterwards. And so, I mean, he actually contributed to the rewriting of the handbook in ways that no other single human being did. So it was really quite interesting. It, and believe it or not, I actually did work my way up into semi management <laughs> through yes. the course. Well, of it. it's it's been you know it, it was like at at some point they figured that's got to be the ultimate punishment. <laughs> is you make Carl a lead, then he's going to understand just what he's been doing. Now the lead is that like who took er it takes people through the show or is yeah that no the lead no. was actually it was a management position it's like oh, an assistant it's manager it, yeah it's behind like, the scenes stuff it's like oh, it's you're like deputy scenes. assistant supervisor okay. it's management without the word managing you're middle manager management plus babysitter yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. actually lower management baseline management yeah, the the okay. the bottom rung scrape off the bottom of the barrel yeah. management I, right. I think it's important to point out for context uh, before we go on that uh, Star Trek the experience was open for. A about a decade, a little over. Yep. Uh, for the first half of that run, there was only one attraction upstairs, uh, Klingon Encounter. Which, which was wasn't even called Klingon Encounter at the time. Originally it was called Voyage Through 
Journey Through Space? Voyage Through Journey, Space? No, Journey Through Journey Space. Journey Through Space. Yeah. Um, halfway through the run, they decided they were going to freshen things up and add a second attraction. Uh, so they gutted the redundant side of Klingon Encounter and added Borg Invasion in 2004. And that ran with uh, in conjunction with Klingon Encounter till the end. Uh, that's that's where I came in. Redundant side. We had two bridges and two motion theaters. Each motion theater had two shuttles. And we were designed to run groups of people through either bridge, 30 seconds apart. We coordinated them, running them through the Grand Corridor to their shuttles so that they wouldn't see each other. And then we would run two shuttles through one motion profile at the same time, 27 people per shuttle, and then unload them staggered to the elevators and get them out. And you guys were, was it pretty much usually a full shuttle? When we first opened, start, it was yeah. insane. It was insane for almost the first six months. We yes. were working, when I say overtime was overtime, yeah. I mean, we were paid on a weekly basis Yep. at that point. Mm-hmm. And it was, you literally could knock out maybe almost two and a half weeks worth that of first, hours. That first day we opened, we ran a 24-hour shift. I yeah. was there for like 16 hours. Fact, did, remember they gave us rooms upstairs at the top could, of the yeah, I didn't take advantage of that. But yeah. Yeah. You were it, constantly it, it was running. running it was running. We eventually hashed out how we were going to do rotations. Yeah. The very first, when we first started, we had a character called Ensign Thomas. Who was the gold officer? I am who Thomas. Pick, who picked up people from the transporter room, brought them to the bridge, got the lowdown as to who is what and what's going on, <laughs> put them on the turbo, delivered them to the grand corridor officer in maroon rota- in in uh, baby cake rotation. Baby cake rotation. <laughs> then you would reset the, sh- the the turbo and run to the transporter room to pick people up again. Pick the next group up. We were running so fast, we eventually abandoned that, and you returned on the. Tran- turbo with the people door would open the bridge would be full with your next set wow you so we were, we were literally running yeah. so tight that yes. we actually had one officer who was not even on the bridge they were in the transit corridor awaiting the next group of people to come through the transporter room we ran it that tight. And it was that busy for six months it a was year. that busy for a while the first a, six months a, of operation a news oh. clip i have in my archive from the opening weekend where an exec from uh paramount parks is explaining to the news crew uh we've actually had to make alterations to the show and the show cycle to accommodate the number of people who have shown up and That's i've talked great. to several different actors they say this went on for about, for about a week nobody actually saw the actual show they saw a shortened version of it mm-hmm. well, i uh, was actually uh, just a little side note um i was here in Las Vegas on vacation for the opening. So I did the fan warp and ride preview, which was before it opened to the general public. So I got I got to be one of the first to go on the ride before like the mass opening where everybody flooded and there were lines. I mean, when I left, there were lines forming yeah. for people wanting to go into the show. So uh, I have kind of a unique perspective on that, you know, opening it as a fan and then closing it as a, an employee. But uh, uh, it was really, really a lot of fun. Um, when I went on that first show, it was packed with people. Like, there were so many people on the bridge, so many people in the corridors, et cetera. Actors, you Actors, Actors yes. Yeah. Um, as the show went on, there were less and less, but I'm sure that's a story for another time. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to... Plug that in there real yeah. quick because we were talking about well, the opening. Well, just as a side note, just as a side note, we would at, at, at reliable capacity, we'd run seven to eight hundred people through an hour. 
we could we some one time couple times pushed to over a thousand yep. but the system couldn't handle it no the the computer system would literally start to fry doors would start malfunctioning things would disrupt but we could handle 700 an hour at a consistent rate when we needed to and yeah. we did that sometimes That's okay now paul what'd you do uh i did a lot of stuff i started off uh well my my i started off at king's island in ohio working as a Klingon, as a walk-around character, because Paramount Parks had gotten the Star Trek license, and I had worked there the year before in Mega Mesomania, which was a Nickelodeon attraction. So my next summer, I, I came back at, or uh, yeah, that, that next summer I came back as a Klingon, and it was a lot of fun. And I had already been doing improvisation for a while, and some of my friends who I'd been in improv troops with were also aliens at this uh, at Kings Island. And I met a guy there named Charlie Huddleston. He was a Vulcan. And uh, so he, Cybok, okay, he was our commander, our captain. Um, Cybok? Cybok. Really? That was no, not Cybok. Cybok. Oh. Not Cybok. <laughs> I was going to say. No, no, no. Cybok is Spock's brother. Yeah. What was it? It was. Uh, Half brother. Yeah. Cy- <laughs> oh, he's Charlie's going to kill me for forgetting his name now. But anyway. Uh, he's he probably w- listening to this going, yeah. Mattingly! Curse you, you idiot. <laughs> it's Garnack. S- Sunak. It was Sunak. Sunak. It okay. was Sunak. All right. So Sunak, Damn. you know how these names get. Anyway. Yes, I do. So that, but during that summer, I actually created my Klingon character of Voha, which is an actual Klingon word that means distrust. My father is uh, is uh, Vong, which means hypnotize because he was a diplomat. And that was the whole thing. Like he had a real way with people. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> now and we that, know. And my mother's name is Vana, which is Klingon for flower because she was beautiful. Um, <laughs> oh, so. flower. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Know what I mean? Hey, what are you going to do? So I had this whole history and this backstory and had spent a summer being this alien character. And the biggest advantage I had when I came to Star Trek The Experience was I had boots that had already been pre-made for me sitting in North Carolina, which was the the base of all their uh, storage facilities. When I started at Star Trek, Charlie went ahead of me, and he got there and got a job because he he still is one of the biggest Star Trek fans I know, and he was bound and determined to work at this location. He got the job and sent me just an email note, said, hey, they're still hiring actors here. You know, he kind of sent it to all of us that had shared that summer with him. And I responded. I was like, let's do it. I was sitting in Kentucky waiting for the next summer to roll around. I was going to be doing theme park work again. I'm like, what, what have I got to lose? So I bought a one way ticket to Las Vegas, two suitcases full of stuff and headed out. And I did it. And, uh, I went through an audition with Ari, got in as a janitor, which was the ending location, uh, thing at the end of the ride okay. which was good so uh, under charlie's recommendation and uh, you know what comedic chops i had at that time got me in and uh, it was kind of a silly role it's kind of like the comedic uh, oh well, how would you guys get down here oh my god you know get, get, you know anyway so that was the gig but i was only doing that for about three months before there was finally a, an opening in the character rotation and i got to put on the boots again and become voha and i say that literally i the boots were Probably 70% of the reason I got the gig again was because there were boots already made for me. Big, giant, expensive leather boots. They're like, he can fit in it. We know what he can do. There you go. So I was back in the back in the trenches. And sure enough, some of the same, uh, some of the other aliens that were already working were improvisers. So I fell right in playing with guys that, you know, I could talk their language a little bit as far as that goes. But, you know, wild times. I did it for about two years. 
And then I got the urge to really improvise, moved out to California for about four months, hated that, came crawling back to Star Trek. I ended up working as uh, a retail associate for six months before another opening came up again. So <laughs> tune your time. To put in my time, show them I'm, I won't. I won't leave again. Um, but finally I got, I got Voha back and, uh, and, uh, and I stuck with that for another probably five or six years after that. Um, during that time, second city opened up and I started doing that at night. So I would be doing, uh, an eight hour shift as a Klingon, taking a shower and jumping on the monorail over to the Flamingo and do two shows at the Flamingo with the Second City. Those were high times. Um, really, really cool. Yes, there is a monorail in Vegas. Yes, there, but that, and, and that's the only effective use I've ever known of it is to get from to get from the, from, from the Las Vegas Hilton to the Flamingo in a pretty decent amount of time. Yeah, uh, so I'd do that a couple of times. It was really fun. Um, so, yeah, that was the thing. And, and then eventually... As I started getting more involved with Second City, that finally became my full-time job. Then Star Trek became my part-time. I only did the character stuff once in a blue moon when they needed a special event coverage or something like that. But I did still do backstage tours, which was something they opened up towards the end of the the attraction's life cycle. Where uh, I would walk people through, guests through, and show them all the intricacies of how the mechanics of the show and the ride actually worked. That became a whole other feature A whole other feature to the experience. Big one. I can and it, towards it, the end, backstage tours was the money maker for ops. We had slid enough that backstage tours put us in the black. Yeah, Interesting. we made we made bank and uh, and and uh, got good at it. It was a lot of well, fun. Well, because I mean, if, if it's showing, if you get to see like the costumes and such too, you got to see everything. Well, see it's the, the real dude. Thing. Watching the transporter run, yeah. watching which was the a shuttle huge run. effect, yeah. by the way. The transporter but, I mean, effect like you was were saying monster. earlier. It's the same makeup guy that did the actual makeup for all the. So, Michael Westmore actually came you know, to the experience to train us yeah. on occasion. So as a fan, I of got the, to of work the with him. Movies in the series, yeah, that would be awesome to see. Yeah, it's slattered my face up pretty good. It's one degree of the actual stuff, really. What's interesting? I'm sorry, Kirsten, you just mentioned that how we were we were in the black because of the backstage tours and stuff um for a long time the restaurant was like the only department that was ever in the black mm -hmm. like consistently but what is really interesting is of all of the former paramount parks properties that cedar fair acquired cedar fair was the company that owned us at the end we were the only profit generating park that they had nice. and they owned uh uh Knott's Berry Farm. Knott's Berry Farm. They own uh, uh, in Sandusky. Uh, Cedar Point. Cedar Point, which is like the, you know, for ro roller coaster fanatics, that's like the place to go. Yeah. They were still operating at a loss. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a uh, little Just to clarify, Star Trek The Experience was uh, built and opened by Paramount Parks back when Paramount Parks was still a subdivision of Paramount Pictures and all owned Viacom. by Viacom. Uh, halfway through Star Trek The Experience's run, company got split up uh, paramount got split up and sold to cbs they didn't want paramount parks they sold that to cedar fair the package included us cedar fair didn't want us but they saw that the lease was going to end at the at the end of 2008 and decided to buy us and let the place bleed itself out <laughs> thank you cedar fair so Todd, what exactly did you as do a, as a side note also to paul paul headed up remember vernon paul headed up our uh our uh, Borg invasion character training. Yes, he which uh, was many wonderful hours for that show. of watching 
watching uh yeah it was pretty awesome i have been paid well to watch star trek the experience <laughs> star trek next generation and movies and yeah pretty great um so that was where some of my improv stuff came in and and got to train those guys during the inception of that and then i also helped uh with uh, the help of a lot of people jeff included um we put together uh, when you would wa- wait in the queue line for the ride, there was a dead spot where you finally got towards the front. And as the uh, age of the place had gone on, you didn't have to run at this super high, fast capacity anymore. They'd probably do a show every 15 minutes. And sometimes that would mean you would get to the front of the line and you were waiting for 15 minutes. Still, that's pretty It's pretty quick. fast. It you wasn't, know, it wasn't I mean, excruciating. Bad. But... If you're a Vegas tourist oh, no, to stand yeah. in line for 15 minutes, and the problem was there was or a 90 a second. Owner. Well, the real problem was not only for the guests, but yeah. also for the operators and the people standing at the podium yeah. waiting. There you was re- a 90 second promotional loop over film piece and that, over and yes. over. So I, yeah. So I spearheaded a, a, a move to make a trivia reel that went for about 12 minutes, 15 minutes or so. Of different trivia questions, oh yeah, yeah, so that they had a little variation nice. when they were waiting at the front of the line. I mean, now of course that thing got old as heck for the employees too. But <laughs> well, but least, who cares about the employees? Well, you know, but, you know? but at least yeah. it was a switch up, and it gave and it and it yeah, did it alleviated a little bit of the tension for the. Uh, some and it of was the shot in house using our own actors. It was shot in house. We used our own actors. We filmed it right on one of our bridge replicas. It looked nice. really authentic and cool. We had some really I mean, and given the technology of the day when we did this, it was pretty sharp and, uh, and some decent editing. They even went back and have you done you did a lot of that i've uh, Vernon's kind of remastered the documentary it. yeah right. vernon's remastered it all so i gotta get digitally remastered by vernon wilmer video it's awesome though that's really cool so uh, so that was a fun little thing so lots of little fun side projects like that hey hey todd did you ever have anything to do with the experience no nah, i just kind of watched <laughs> <laughs> no i was uh, i was one of the first vulcans hired uh, originally, Vulcans were just supposed to be uh, on the on the bridge in the ride, and not wandering characters. And uh, they had a little bit of outside character experience when they started letting Starfleet wander around the uh, place as a, <laughs> yeah. a promotional go-to. They sent us out into the hotel, into the casino Away to mission. say, "Oh, look, we're we, we're over here. We're Star Trek: The Experience. Come check us out." Um, some people took that seriously. Some people didn't. But. Uh, <laughs> Boy, didn't they. <laughs> it's a tough yeah. one. I've had to do things. Yeah, like that. it, it is. Tough. It is. It can you, be you, tough. Had, you had two kinds of characters that worked up. That's very nice. Uh, two people that worked in the experience. Uh, people that really got Star Trek, and people that just didn't give a shit. It was just um, a job. It was a job. Yeah, it was yeah. an acting job while they went and pursued other a acting good jobs. Good gig, but yeah. not the love a- of their life. An easy gig, yeah. which was I. Super simple script. You know what? Some people didn't give a shit and eventually did. That's yeah. true. Some people did give a shit and yeah. eventually, eventually gave did. less. Yeah, yeah. that's yes. true. <laughs> well, because but there's one of two camps. Because yeah. I mean, if it's your love and then you start to see behind the scenes and it's day in and day out and it becomes a job, you lose love for it and you get a little pissed that don't you know, meet your heroes. Yeah, 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 exactly. Don't meet your. Heroes. I mean, I I can only speak for myself, but you know, seven and a half years, I got to live and breathe Star Trek. Every single day, it was a blast. I mean, yeah. it was hard work because you know you're in the restaurant. It's still a job. Yeah. You're you're dealing with customers and you're dealing with them not for a quick you know thirty seconds to a minute at a time. You're dealing with them consistently for a long time while they eat and bullshit and 
and they're like, oh, I fucking hate Star Trek, but I love your drinks. Yeah. So you know, how that, long that were kind you, of stuff. How long were you there, Todd? I was only there for about two years, and okay. it was only when the original ride was there. I was gone by the time uh, Borg, Borg Invasion came, came around. So we just had the one ride and lots of downtime in between. Yes. Is, I remember working I remember. with Federico on uh, training you guys in uh, your your bunch that came in. Mm-hmm. I remember when they came in being told <laughs> to leave them alone. Ah. <laughs> Whatever you do, <laughs> leave this group alone. And he never did. He never. Let there was a ever. real attempt. I remember that bunch because there was a real attempt. Let's let let we want to try to train a cleaner, more professional yeah. crew. And boy, that shit just never ever fucking worked out. <laughs> it never ever you worked out. and Amy and Matt. Oh, and we, we would <laughs> fuck with the shows in horrible ways just because well, out, out of boredom. And also, I mean, in any situation, you can't. If there's already that environment in the yes. room, yeah. the four new people aren't going to be able to One change. of the things I learned, you know, one of the big things I learned at the experience, as much as I had tremendous affection for a lot of the management people I worked with right from the get-go, um, except at the very top level where uh, the turnkey, I forget his name, but the, the Paramount Parks turnkey, he was the man who was in Tom, charge of the install. Are Tom Rapone? Uh, no, Tim, above Tom. Oh, gee. Um, he, he, everyone else was above their, it was in over their head, I'm sorry. And um, that really taught me about how an organization opening, starting off on the wrong foot, how it can perpetuate and stay. Because we eventually turned around the entire management team. And right up to the closing, not to get too deep in this, but right up to the closing, we had the same basic issues between employees and management that we had when we started. And it was very, very interesting to see the way things perpetuated and the way things, the, the, the kind of, the little culture that will enter into a workplace and stay. It yeah, was it's hard amazing. to get rid of it. It's it really hard to And now it. I understand when you hear about, oh yeah, he came in on the company, new CEO, and he cleaned house. Now I understand why they do that stuff. Yeah. Because at one point, um, one of the one of the uh, other leads and I, when we were talking about trying to improve the show and trying to to fix a lot of what was going on, um, we actually sat down and said, "Close, close yeah. everything out. Clo- go dark for two weeks. Rehire and rehire and restart everything with new people." Enema. And um, and they were like, there's no possible way we can close the uh, the corporate will approve closing yeah. uh, approve closing the attraction for two weeks. And some of that comes from the top too. If 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 the people way at the top in corporate aren't going to be like, hey guys, get your act together, right? Then why should I get my act together? Unless I'm someone who's like, well, they, we should have our act together. They they tried. But, you know. They try. I mean, Jesus, Adam, we had a, a union fight. That started off rather quickly because one of the things Ari did is he stocked. Well, we had 110 actors when we first opened, and he stocked. That's a lot. He, he stuffed us with a lot of SAG people, former equity people, a lot of people who knew union and stuff like that, and who understood actual professional performance, who were maybe beyond the, that time and were no longer doing that, and. Their attitude and culture and work versus management 
who did not mix, did not, you know, were, were really out of their element. They saw themselves as actors. Management saw them as right attendants. Hourly employees. Yeah. Hourly yes. employees. Yeah. Well, and also, like you say, right attendants. That's, right. What they were, well, that's what they were. And they would that tell us a, that often. They would say, you I are would hear a right them operator. say, you are a right operator. If the managers aren't union or the, don't know union, and then you have a bunch of people that have lived in union and are working in a similar field of that union, then, yeah, there's going to be a miscommunication there. It's two different worlds. It's well, and one of the problems was is that the beginning um, management team that we had there, none of them had been in entertainment and performing. I think the closest we had was um, Diane Tennyson. And what was she? Where are you guys doing? <laughs> uh, the, the, the dog is incessantly scratching at the yes, thing. Is it picking it up? No. Okay. Yeah. Just, just, just the rattle of the. So when you say you had 110 people, how if I go to the experience, how many people am I going to encounter? Crap. Um, what did it get down well, to? Well, in a ride sitting, when we started, each bridge carried was it five people? Five. You had you had ops con, con. floater, Ensign and Thomas, and, and flitter. Fl- flitter. You had three blues, so that's eight. Grand Corridor Officer. Transporter Officer. Transporter Officer, which is 10. 10. Sim Loader. Yep. Sim Loader. 11. And then the Janitor. <laughs> and then the Janitor. 12. Uh, and then you had those people's breakers. Mm-hmm. Yep. There, were, there were at least so three different 13, breakers. 13, 14, 15. 1, 2, 3. And that doubles because of both sides. Yeah. So no, no, you have four breakers. You had a breaker for Blue, two for <laughs> Starfleet, one for Janitor. And so probably 35 people on a shift on to a start. Shift to start. Just for ride operation, and uh, yeah, but if I walk into space, I walk onto the the uh, what is it? The, the bridge. The you bridge. going through the show I from go beginning to the bar, end. You're gonna hit before the bar. To you're ride. gonna see aliens, yeah, and we had a mother load of aliens when I mean, we is started. It Fifteen people, or is it fifty? No aliens. Yeah, if I walk into the environment of the world that because it's still two. there at the Hilton, you'd see two if you get a chance to go by. They still have a lot of the decor still up at the Hilton. Two or three really at weird. the most. Yeah, two or three. It rotated out pretty quick, out. though. You'd see a set of Ferengi. It was a half an hour in, half an hour out. You'd see a Klingon and an Andorian. Yeah. Oh, and they just switch them out. Yeah, half hour on, cycle. half hour off. Someone was always on the floor walking around, but we just switch it on, half hour on, half hour off. Couple Klingons, couple, couple Ferengi. Couple Klingons, couple Ferengi, okay. switch it up depending on who we when had Star on the day. When Star Trek The Experience opened, there were over 125 dedicated actors in yeah. the employee uh, ranks. Did he say dedicated? When dedicated. Dedicated to the acting. That's the picture I heard that clear. As opposed to restaurant or retail. When, but, uh, 11 years later, when we closed, there were 24 actors. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. No, I think dedicated but, is a is a good word because um, I've w- over the years that I was at the bar, a lot of people came in and told me how much they loved the plays, how much they really felt like, you know, the actors, you know, the aliens, etc. that everyone involved was really presenting a full Star Trek environment for them to live in for a day. Yeah. Cool. And I'm, I'm sure everyone can attest here, except for maybe four or five managers over the years that we were there, None of those managers knew anything about Star Trek or gave a shit about Star Trek. Which four or five so he knew. It was all the employees that really went out of their yeah. way to provide that yeah. environment was for the, our guests. There were enough people who still really cared about it and believed in the 40-year history at that time that there was. And, I mean, I, like I said, for all the politics and the hoo-ha, it's just one of those things, man. It was, it, was a, it was a freak of nature that it even occurred because Star Trek The Experience was – conceived during that brief era 
when Las Vegas decided it was going to be a family destination. Yeah. And in the slimmest of windows did that thing open, start to operate, and then within, I would say within year one of us operating, Vegas was already going, what the fuck were we thinking <laughs> trying to bring within babies year, out Within a year, it was here. what happens <laughs> in yeah, Vegas. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it yeah. really was. It really yeah. was. It yeah. was a, that quick of a turnaround. But... To, and to and that speaks to the strength of the facility that it was able to endure that turnaround and still be something of a standout attraction. Well, it also speaks to the truth that adults love Star Trek. Absolutely, and that that's got adults nothing to love do with fantasy. It's still awesome escapism. You didn't yeah. even have to be a fan. When I was working Andorian, my job was to go into retail and restaurant and the bar and talk to people. Yeah. And there were plenty of people who came back to the bar again and again who said, "I'm not a fan of Star Trek." But I love coming here to eat and drink. Yeah, well, it's a cool, crazy oh, yeah. environment. Absolutely. I mean, cause we had, quite frankly, at the Hilton, we had some of the least expensive, most potent drinks. <laughs> speaking, I, of which, speaking of which, I'm drinking a Vulcan Mind Meld right now, ah, which is yes. not of our Quark's recipe. <laughs> um, and speaking of, if you want to try the recipes, they're actually on the Ugly Couch Show website. Oh, absolutely. Yes, what? Oh. You, did you not know that, Carl? Oh, tonight. To, I told you this before. <laughs> we'll have to put another link up on this uh, thing. Exactly. Why don't, don't you just go ahead and forward it right to put my a link Facebook up on it. page. It's, it's on, on the, the Ugly Couch Show main page. That's true. Well, we should start tweeting about it. I'm on Tweet Carl. I will tweet you, Carl. Tweet Carl tonight. Which is peach nuts. From Jeff's memory and recipe books that he had to deal with. All right, so the mind meld is uh, white rum, 151, peach tree schnapps, triple sec, cranberry juice, pineapple juice. And a bunch of ice cream. And we used to finish it off with a peach sugar rim. We, the glass would have a peach sugar rim and then all the alcohol in it. They didn't yell like that. I want a warp core tomorrow. That drink, when we closed, cost $8. At noon. And everyone would come in and look at our menus and go, why why are your drinks $8? Why is this drink $24? Why is this drink $30? And then they would have one and they're like I'm coming back here again <laughs> because your drinks have fucked me up more. <laughs> it's than true. Any of the drinks I've gotten upstairs and they cost about 3 or $4 less. So, so that was that was a constant theme that we had at the bar. People would come in and say you've got strong drinks, you've got tasty drinks. And they're cheaper than what I'm being charged up on the casino floor. And you got aliens. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Like I'm not going downstairs. Who's the bartender down there? You got us, uh, Jeff and Rawl. <laughs> oh, they're drunk. I'll be down there in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Darren and I messed up more than a few people. Yeah. And over you have the a years. Klingon singing to you while you sucked away at your. Oh work yes. Form. Oh, we should do a round of Bogdatumok. Uh, well, been the a problem long is time since you've done it. The problem is for the Klingon purists out there, I've got it about halfway down. Most of the lyrics that I use are of my own creation. Oh, really? <laughs> because I because I changed it to fit the meter more the way I liked it, oh, and just okay. the way I could remember the the sounding of it. So it is not pure Klingon by any means, but it's close enough for Damn oil. Damn close. <clears throat> if I could, if I can get into the voice of it. Bogda tumo soja duro yaja keo. That's all I'm gonna do. Ah! <laughs> That's where it's gonna cut off. Uh, he's right. out of practice. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm way out of practice. My favorite Voha moment. Uh, th these Clearly. guys were hired for their improvisational skills and how to deal with guests on the floor. Uh, these these this group of people thought that they would try to to to, to embarrass Voha one night. And uh, they had some guys sitting in a booth, and the guy came over, he approached Voha, and he goes, look, my friends over there want you to sit in the booth with them and, and pose for a picture. Oh, okay, human. Okay, but, but here's the thing. 
they they want you in the picture. Just pretend, you know, as you're sitting in between them, just to pre- pretend to be jerking both of them off. And without missing a beat, Volha goes, Klingons pretend to do nothing, human. <laughs> that's not Voha, that's Paul. <laughs> oh no, I mean that, that, you want a jerk off, we're gonna get a jerk I'll off. Tell you what's great about that. What was great about doing that character was for those could, for yeah. people who know me, I'm not aggro, I'm not mean, I'm not a big muscly, crazy motherfucker, kill you kind of guy. But there's something of that in there, and it was just really nice to tap into that and let that loose. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I still, from time to time, can channel that crazy mofo. There's been a couple and, times uh, I've been allowed to be like a jerk to people as a character. And yeah. It, is. it can be fun. It can yeah, be really but, fun. Yeah. But, you know, but I still, I didn't, I was not a jerk, a jerk but, to but people. You know what I mean. I, no, but I, I but I, yeah. that was, that went against everything that Roddenberry Stood for in my mind. I was like, I'm here to elevate people. I'm he- I, I, yes, I'm a killing machine, but I'm here to entertain, <laughs> inspire, and, and educate. You know, we're trying to show yeah. that, yeah, I'm a killing machine, but we've learned to live with crazy warrior killing machines. We have peace with the Federation, tenuous as it may be. You can learn from our culture. I can learn from yours. It's all good. I'm not going to. Well, and I never thought Klingons were jerks. Don't get me wrong. No, that's but, the thing. Know. They're not. They're on. <laughs> that's just it. They're honor bound. They're not yeah. going to go around talking petty smack. They don't have to talk shit. They Even- are the shit. They don't give a <laughs> fuck what you think. They don't. There's no reason for a Klingon to engage in any kind of petty bickering or banter because he would just stab you. If he really <laughs> felt that strongly, you'd be dead. If he's talking shit, he's not a Klingon in my mind. Anyway. And, and then he met the Borg. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then the Borg. <laughs> I could not stand the Borg, uh, of course. Well, who can? No. Well, that was the, a crazy thing. But so, Todd, what was your favorite memory? At the experience, my favorite memory is uh, has to do with our away teams. That's once again where they sent us out. They took us off the ride for like the last two hours of our shift to go out amongst. Some would stay around the uh, the Deep Space Nine promenade area, and some would go out. Uh, those people who didn't give a shit just walked out and said, "Yeah, we're over there. Go check us out." Out into the casino, out of the casino, and so on. Uh, but those of us who saw this as an opportunity to finally play Star Trek with the rest of the aliens. And so we would get together and say, okay, when we go out this time, let's hit these story beats. And we ended up doing a whole murder mystery with... Uh, <laughs> with Sometimes just to keep our minds occupied, we'd you start were acting little out like parts murder, of the show. Parts of a murder mystery. Yeah. And, uh, and it was great because <laughs> the guests wouldn't necessarily know where we were in our storyline, but they were thoroughly entertained by us having active interactive stuff no, going no, on. They're, that's like, a great they're like, we're in the middle of a fucking episode here. <laughs> yeah. It was always a Bolian. Someone had always killed a Bolian. <laughs> that, was, that was always the... Why? Uh, who, tell me who last saw this Bolian. <laughs> I know you were with him last night, Bleeg. Tell me, where did you why, see him? Why the Bolian? Because Bolians are fun. Bolians are silly. (laughs) They're blue with a stripe down their head. They look like a ball sack. (laughs) If your ball sack looks like that, you should see a doctor. Well, okay, yeah, all right. They look like a ball sack with a rubber band around it, I guess. Um, But, you know, that was always the kind of thing. And, yeah, it was really fun. You truly do get to do some role play. Mm -hmm. And if you got with people that really wanted to to, to throw it around some, that was the thing. Yeah, I mean, I had so much fun with with Bleeg was on the floor with me or Quan or maybe. Major Kalen, we were always right on point with each other, 
totally just on that same page, vibing and, and, and playing our parts, you know, just really in, in the moment and in the role. It was really, really cool. Well, I can see, too, as an operator, a ride operator. It's pretty set what you're doing. Sure. You had a very specific script with specific I mean, beats in the ride. Unless you're Carl, because you Carl. do whatever the fuck you <laughs> want. You're the rule maker. But, <laughs> so, but, yeah, yeah. To, to go out and have that freedom to go out and play. Because we were hired as actors, and so yeah, we but wanted you to act. And you weren't actors. Yeah. You were ride operators. Right, with a script. Hey, hey, As we discussed. <laughs> hey, so, I've been a ride operator so as So, Carl, actor, you know? was, there, was there a moment at, that happened that, that triggered uh, that? Or just, just being able to go out and have fun? It was going to go out and have fun, but that's actually how I transferred from going from Vulcan to a regular Starfleet officer because I had a, a huge issue. For some reason, that wig just did not agree with me. The sure. Vulcan and, wig? And it was getting to the point of being painful. Sure. I had an effect on it. Yeah, yeah. And so I went to management and said, I, I enjoy being Vulcan, but if I can't do it as an alien, if I'm just going to do it up on the ride, I, I just don't want to do it. And so I used that opportunity to kill my Vulcan character. Oh, that's right. Basically, and that became, a story and that became one of the storylines. In fact, we've had uh, Professor Biggs, <laughs> who was also a Kroak. Kroak. Uh, he was the one that killed my character by launching me out of an airlock. Ah, uh, yes. And there was a whole thing about it, and a Vul- the other Vulcans investigated, and and so it was the transference of my character out of Vulcan. So I actually yeah. had a nice goodbye. So yeah. Guys- every time, every time a character left, they died in a horrible way. So that we had fodder to play with after they were gone. Yeah. So we'd sense. always have these fun little. Excuses I actually have Bleak's things. desiccated remains disc. See, still. yeah, yeah. That <laughs> so was you were creating. Grind. I have one too. He gave me. We were one creating one our one. own Excellent. Star Trek mythology. You were creating the, fan fiction. There's a fan. There was a total. I mean, and some of it slash, but it was a fan fiction <laughs> that we like. Uh, we created a Star Trek STD. <laughs> we did. Uh, the spikes. The spikes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was this there was this rumored lady of the night Silesia who who never you know never appeared but no, was wow. one of the girls that Quan had working for she him She appeared in her own way apparently and he would tell he would tell stories about Silesia and, and her nefarious goings on and how she was spreading the spikes to all that visited the station all saying oh no it's terrible Silesia Shalisha has no respect for herself. She just can't. She'll, she'll mate with any human that comes in those doors. It's just it's the worst. It's disgusting. Oh, I won't let her near my lobes. I don't want to get despised. It was too much. It was too much. Carl, what was your favorite memory? Oh, I got a lot of them. The one that comes to mind, because you guys are talking about wigs. Um, oh. when, we, <laughs> when we had the Borg invasion, there's a character. Um... Lieutenant Elkins was he there? Yeah, Lieutenant Elkins, and played by Jade Carter. Oh, a wonderful! Okay, actor. So to really quickly explain this, are you going to explain this? The, okay, so there is a character in the Borg ride <laughs> gonna, yeah. called Lieutenant Elkins that is in the movie. At the top yeah. of the show, you see him, and he goes, "This is Lieutenant Elkins. Shit's going bad." He fuzzes out, and you're supposed to then see him later as in a the Borg. ship running. No, running so, around. What you start off as is, is, is <laughs> Lieutenant Elkins. There's two people sitting in the front of the ship. And Lieutenant Elkins gets up, runs into this back little corner. It looks like he's going it's into... It's a transition the- from the live actor on the set to the film actor, Jade Carter, playing Lieutenant Elkins on the 4D movie screen. Now, if you're so not they, aware... Were, they, this is the foresight that these ride guys had. They uh, Clearly, I mean, we've been open for years, and they had no way and, to just go... 
will it be easy to every hour of every day of operation have someone who looks really close to this actor to be able to jump up from a seated position and run into a hidey hole and look like shouldn't and, be a problem. You know what I mean? Like the I mean, on, they had to really closely match him. The on-screen actor but is here we go. He's a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, six-foot-tall German guy. Okay, so, so. I am now. Six foot one, 190 pound black man. <laughs> Wearing a blonde wig. A Wearing thing. a blonde wig. <laughs> Playing this role. And it's great because I get up. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what the lines was, but it's sort of like, I got this. Black man runs into this hole. Yeah. Well, white I got dude this. goes yep. out on the screen, and we can't figure out how he gets killed. <laughs> wow, some crazy shit went on. Yeah. Yeah. Like the rear end guy white. White. <laughs> we, I'm just saying that the transporter. <laughs> we tried to explain it. There's a lot of carbon scoring. <laughs> but the best part is the way. Golly. <laughs> the way the wig is cut, if you see me in it, I look like Ike Turner. You did! Yeah. Yeah. You did! You did! You did. <laughs> so I would get up, and whoever would say something inside, I would quickly whisper over, All right, Tina, I got this. <laughs> you are trouble. You are trouble. I mean, it's not your fault. What the hell are you doing playing that role? I, That's hilarious. The funny thing is, it took them forever to, to like put realize because for for a while I was you know I was only a Borg and everything else, and uh, Mike Kirsten, which awkward enough, I never actually thought I trained anybody. I was like one of the Borg trainers because they're like, sure, you've been here forever, you can do that. Um, and I sat and whined and complained that I wanted to do Starfleet on that side. And they were like, no, forever they were like, no. Forever they were like, no. So one day I, I do, you know, I do the improv for the thing. They were like, all right, fine. So the first thing they have me do is the damn Elkins role. The second thing they do is they make me do this role where you get grabbed by a Borg hand and it gets lifted up. And sure enough, first thing happens. It clicks and locks, and I'm stuck up there. Legs nice. dangling. <laughs> nice. Nice. I remember that night. <laughs> and it was really funny because a lot of the female um, actors, like Gina et al., were like, Carl stuck? Let's go see. <laughs> yeah, and, and they like, won't let me down forever. <laughs> <laughs> just people you walking in going, crowd yeah, sure just staring at Carl hanging there <laughs> just, while they're waiting <laughs> for the text to come for free. For those of you who don't know, the stunt effect was that the, the actor was actually attached to an unseen hook where they were pulled up into the ceiling, presumably by Borg. Now, sometimes the, the lift, the hydraulic lift that would pull you up into the ceiling would stop halfway, and you'd be magically dangling halfway above the floor with no s- story satisfying way to explain why. So you people just, would, people would play going, dead. Move along! Move along! Everybody yeah. nothing to yeah, see here. Yeah, you just have to die, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah you, you would just act like you were dead. Also, uh, uh, and just be dangling. Yeah. And then there's just a dead black man hanging on the wall. You know, <laughs> it's, it's which is very, very canon for Star Trek. <laughs> a black man ha- hanging it's, in Nevada? It's, it's Kirsten's <laughs> pointed out because I was known for causing trouble. <laughs> The rule maker. When things would go wrong with me, there was no rush to help me. Like, literally, <laughs> they would be like, Carl, like the tech, they were like, we have a, um, what is it, 801, whatever we would call it, 11 1, ride stuck. Da-da. And so the text would start to come up there, and they'd be like, yeah, Carl's stuck in the thing. And I'd swear, 
the slowdown hit all of a sudden. <laughs> and we run the other side without running the Borg invasion for a while. People would come up there, and like Kirsten said, like the first time, literally everyone, they were on break room and everything else. Like, I'm sitting there dangling. Everyone's coming up like, oh, my God. Look at your stuff. You're hanging. Cameras are coming out. <clears throat> all right, nice. Vernon, what about you? What's your favorite memory? Oh, there are so many. Mm-hmm. Um, gee whiz. My favorite memory. Okay, well, okay, this ranks up there. It's yeah. not my favorite memory. It's just the first thing that popped into my head. Yes. It's convention 2006. The place is packed, of course, because we were Trekkie Mecca, and they would hold the Star Trek uh, uh, convention at the Las Vegas Hilton. Um, Which no longer exists, by right. the way. It's now the LVH. Now the, yeah. the Las Vegas Come Hotel. Come on down to the LVH. Because they didn't well, want to change. Hilt Hotel. Las yeah. Vegas Hotel. They didn't want to change the stationery or any of the signs, so they just called it Las <laughs> well, Vegas Hotel. There is still, Hotel. to this day, a Starfleet, a giant 40-foot Starfleet logo on the side of the building next to the monorail well, that's station. that's what I'm saying. There's still the... They uh, painted over it, I think. The sign... Black. No, no, no. It's spray-painted white, the words Star Trek The Experience. Can the Starfleet the shield is still completely is it, there is still by the monorail station. Good. The Deep Space Nine, we'll like the, the setting is still there at the, in the, no. the bar It's was. gutted. No, it's, it's down gutted. to the beams. Is it gutted now? Because I was there like two years steel. ago. What you've seen is the Space Quest Casino, yeah, which was loosely different. space-themed yeah. before the attraction it really got in there. It no sense without the attraction there. Right. It's like this weird But it does confuse people. I've had people get in my face. No, no, no. It's, it's still, still there. Hilarious. You know, we saw it. They're putting it back up. Yeah. yeah. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Go on, Bert. I Okay, I'm going to break this down into three small moments. Uh, my favorite, I guess, accumulative moment of working at the experience was being able to interact with the, the stars of the actual show and movies. Because you were a diehard uh, Trekker Yes, way back. I, I was one of the few Trekkies who actually got hired. They didn't like that. I say, isn't that how we actually got him? We uh, came to the ride so many times <laughs> to do the show. Yeah. And uh, uh, so my three, I guess my three favorite celebrity moments were during the 40th anniversary Star Trek convention. This is not a favorite moment in the fact that it was good, but the fact that it, it, it's a, it's a standout memory the Borg, like I played, we were in very complex costumes. It had to be taken off by wardrobe personnel before we could, you know, go to the restroom or anything. Uh, Shatner was in the building filming something for the 40th anniversary, some promo. And I got a break, my first one in four hours. I ran downstairs. I was going to go to wardrobe, have them peel the costume off of me. I had to pee like a racehorse. Uh, Shatner had the whole floor shut down so that he could have the restroom to himself in peace. That's right. <laughs> so... <laughs> During went, the convention, I, remember that. I think he's probably <laughs> a smart move. <laughs> this was the beginning of, by the way, the, the big feud between Shatner and I, which continues to this day. <laughs> I, 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 I bullied... Vernon Wilmer's William fucking Shatner moment. Yeah. Bring it on! This was my first. Uh, Shatner, I have heard him talk about Shatner tweets <laughs> about it all the time. I know he's interviewed all the time. About it's Vernon it. again, fucking up my shit. <laughs> I, I uh, bo- with my Borg regalia on, I bullied my way past his entourage and went to wardrobe, where I made them peel the costume off of me. Walked in my underwear with bizarre makeup on my face to the restroom and peed next to William Shatner in the urinal, urinal next to him. This was inside the experience Yeah, restroom. this wasn't 10 forward. Yeah, this, this was in our party call call the area. area. Turbo flush. Turbo yeah. fl- no, sorry, the turbo flush, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to extend the story too long, but the, <laughs> the last thing between Shatner and I, I was speaking on a panel at a Star Trek convention. Me, Lysander Ebedea, 
uh, April Bear, two other actors from Star Trek The Experience. We had our own panel at a convention. There was a decent couple of hundred people in the audience in this room listening to us speak on the stage. And Shatner and his film crew, I think they were filming The Captains at the time, they decided they were going to take a shortcut through our theater to avoid the main lobby and being mobbed. <laughs> they took a corner through our, while we were speaking, through our theater. And people were like, they stopped listening to us. They were sure. like, oh, Shatner. Oh, look at Shatner well, walking through. I mean, in so all I, fairness, you would have stopped listening to you. Well, I, no, no. <laughs> if all the captains. Maybe George through. Takei, but not yeah. Shatner. <laughs> so I've so never dealt with George Takei during the well, show, he, have no, you? No, he's awesome, but no, I have never interacted with him. I got I picked up my mic because the whole room had fallen silent at that point. And I just said, folks, yes, that is William Shatner. He has to be on our panel, but we said no. And he tur- did his turn back and he was like, <laughs> so, wait a minute that's the guy that peed next to me at star trek no no i'm making that up that didn't happen. feud part but, two <laughs> but no uh that uh uh helping chase masterson shop on the promenade using my employee discount so mm-hmm. she could oh tell your tell your chase story okay we all have chase stories that mine mine's, mine's minimal i'll leave it out but uh the coolest thing was i'm at the i'm at the employee snack machine which we called the the, the coin operated replicators and I'm standing there next to an a- another actress, Gretchen Baker. We're staring at the contents of this vending machine, not able to. No, that was that was Kirsten's dog. Um, staring at this vending machine, not picking anything out. We didn't realize we were holding anybody up and taking a while. This voice comes from behind us. Is there anything good in there? It was Tim Russ. We turn around and it's Tim Russ <laughs> waiting for us to get out of the way so he could get some Cheetos or something. <laughs> That was the, that was the coolest part was working with the celebrities, yeah, Just I would being think so. in and amongst. Them. It was neat, yeah. Because well, yeah, well, yeah, I I totally agree with Vernon on that because they they treated us for the most part like we were one of them. I mean, even us in the restaurant. I mean, uh, Picardo was the coolest in my book. Oh my God, Bob Picardo was freaking amazing uh, every time he came in. He's just he's just funny, fun. Not he not really taking opening, anything seriously. Borg Invasion 4D. Yeah. He was our MC for the opening of Borg Invasion 4D. Me, the rest of the Borg, we do this uh, big number with him to open the thing up. Later, we're out. We're we're scrubbing up. We're getting out of costume. We're taking a whiz, whatever. Me and this guy Andy Thogerson, who was the funniest oh, guy who wow. ever worked at Star Trek: The Experience, <laughs> we're in the ten forward turbo flush, washing our Borg faces off, and he's making jokes about Robert Picardo. What him? Oh, he would show up to the opening of a can. Are you kidding? Uh, hey, I heard he couldn't even afford a hotel room tonight. He's gonna, they're going to put a tent up behind oh Moogie's no. for him to sleep in. And the whole time, I'm elbowing him in the ribs because Picardo is taking a whiz in the urinals right across from us. You, know, you nice. can see him in the mirror. And nice. I'm like, Andy, Andy. And he goes, oh, mother, why do you keep hitting me? And, and then nice. Robert Picardo comes up to wash his hands. Andy Thogerson looks right at him and just goes, Oh shit! <laughs> How the hell are you, man? And they shake hands. That was awesome. Okay, that's my favorite memory. That's, that's a good one. What about you, Jeff? Your favorite memory? Oh god. Um, I think if I had to pick one, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think I could pick one. Uh, I'll, I'll narrow it down to two. Uh, one was. Uh, I hadn't been there very long. It was that first. It wasn't the official creation convention. It was Slanted Fedora had done a, a convention there. It was the first convention they had done in Vegas ever. It was like the first Las Vegas Star Trek convention that had been in Vegas for something like 10 years at that point. It was before creation started coming back. And uh, I'm, I'm in the side stand in the restaurant, um, punching in something on the computer. It was before I was bartending full time. And my buddy Raul goes, 
hey, uh, Jeff, do you recognize this guy? And I turn over and I, I only see Rawl because there's like this these these funky, odd, angled pillars that were in the restaurant. And this face comes from behind the pillar up over the bar, just almost like it was coming out of the pillar and and goes, may the founders bless you. And it's Jeffrey freaking Combs, dude. And, and he just, he looks at me and gives me that Wayne smile. And I freaked out. That's the only time I have ever freaked out when a star, because it was the combination well, yeah, of everything. He was right there in the environment that and, and, totally reinforced him. And, and, yeah. and, and literally without the makeup, he was in the character for like that Wayne, moment. Yeah. And I, I freaked out. I was like, holy freaking it is Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> I freaked, I freaked out. Um, but I actually met him later on. Uh, totally, totally cool guy. Him and Casey Biggs were cut-ups all the time when they were there. <laughs> um, in fact, interesting, funny story with the two of them. Um, Casey Biggs and, and Jeffrey Combs... Well, Casey Biggs, for sure, likes to drink. Um, <laughs> I was bringing, I was bartending. So I, was, I was making drinks, and I was bringing them over. And at one point, Casey, like, uh, I walked over, and I'm like, hey, you guys need anything else? And... He's like, yeah, two more, two more. And he's pointing at me, at him and uh, and uh, Jeffrey Combs. And, and Jeffrey Combs has got this, 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 you know, light face on. He's like, ha, ha. And he turns around, puts his arm around me. He's like, just bring me a Coke because I cannot keep up with this guy. If I drink anymore, I'm not going to make it out of here. <laughs> and so I, I did. I went back and brought him that. But um, the, 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 the second moment that I wanted that, that I, I think was – Honestly, uh, one of the best moments ever was uh, dealing with uh, Major Roddenberry. Ah, um, yes. She was, to this day, the classiest lady I have ever met, but very cool. Um, she would literally take, uh, like, had, um, I, I've, I've talked with her son, Rod, many times, you know, um, mm-hmm. in person, over email, etc. Um, he said once he's like my mom and my dad never saw themselves as celebrities even though some people did and she really didn't like uh there was one time she was just sitting at the bar having a you know drinking some food and people would come up and say hi and she's like oh hey and then she would just like totally like either pull him up to the bar have him take a seat and just carry on conversation with him uh the i saw her the last time before she passed um she was she was in the wheelchair. They had just talked about doing the voiceover work for the O nine movie at the convention and she and Rod had come into the bar and <laughs> it was one of those things that uh it's it's a fun story because uh Darren and I knew that she liked her Jack Daniels. Mm-hmm. So Darren she had did poured drink her, her food then. She Jar, Jar, Darren had poured her a double Jack and Coke because she ordered a Jack and Coke from him. Darren knew that she liked her jack, so he poured it as a double because she liked it a little strong. Rod comes over to the bar with the drink, and he's like, hey, guys, I hate to do this to you. He's like, Mom says this drink is really not strong enough for her. And so we're, and, and Darren just starts laughing, and I go, I was like, Rod, it's because he poured her a double. And he goes, are you serious? And I was like, well, here, we, there's a little bartender trick. If you poured a, a strong drink and somebody says that it's not strong enough, what you do is you take whatever the liquor is and you pour it down the straw. So the ah, first swig that they get is just the solid alcohol. And uh, the physical response is that it deadens your taste buds. Yeah. So the feeling is, okay, this now is all potent. I taste is the Jack Daniels. Yeah. So we ended up doing that because uh, Rod gave us the look like, 
don't really make it stronger. <laughs> but, if you can, but if you can fool mom, that's yeah. the, but that's so great. that's what we did. But uh, yeah, she was she was fantastic. I, I always loved when Majel came in. And she was, was so there sad. the first week I showed up, uh, uh-huh. opening week. I came in just as a guest, and yeah. uh, I thought she had something to do with opening it or work there or something, because she was in Quarks going from table to table going, is everybody enjoying themselves? Are you guys having a good time? And we're like, oh, wow, she has a hand in this. That's cool. No, she was just there hanging out, making sure everybody was enjoying themselves. Yep, just... Barry has a fantastic picture with her of um, where he's yeah. as, oh, as Dr. Vlarg. Yep. Uh, he was just walking around the floor that day, and... And somebody said, hey, can we get a picture of you with the Ferengi? So she puts her arm around in one and is literally licking one of Vlarg's ears. Yep. And so Barry, of course, goes into the Umok's face as yep. Dr. Vlarg. is kind of like, eyes rolled back and everything. It's a fantastic picture. It's I have it somewhere cute. at home. Yeah. For the layman, like Umox is a, a Ferengi foreplay having to do with the ears as ear. a neurogenous ears. It's like a pseudo-orgasm. <clears throat> but, I mean, her being so cool about it and her being there and all these celebs, I mean, I think that's... That's one of the reasons it probably ran as long as it did is that oh, yeah. it was absolutely it wasn't a ride that like Las Vegas Hilton created. It was a ride that the people who create they created. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's a community it, it that, the people's ride. That is un, well, it was yeah. Star Trek's yeah. ride. And it wasn't and just like, a ride; it was an environment. Well, but you the know, ride was like, a small part of it, it. And we it, all kept the environment the going. Theme, it had the perfect name: Star Trek: The Experience. The theme park for it was created by the people who created the original thing. Because we've all been on rides or parks where we're like, "Yeah, I guess it's Bugs Bunny," because they got the rights. But it's not really Warner Brothers that created it. You know, Six yeah. Flags. It's like. Uh, they got the rights to have it's Bugs the Bunny, Superman ride, but it's not, not really Superman. Flying. You know what I mean? Like, but you know what I mean? Like, it <laughs> right. doesn't. Yeah. It, it's clearly not directly connected to the people who created it, and I think that's one of the reasons it probably lasted as long as it was. Kirsten. What about you, Kirsten? I I really can't select uh, anyone. It's um, I I came in there. Um, I met a lot of great friends. I still have them. Um, <clears throat> I I fell in love there. I met a lot of had a lot of uh, interesting contacts with people uh i did ensign thomas for leonard nimoy that's like my celeb moment and it was very interesting walking down the, and he had like this circle of people around him that like he had this six foot bubble they did a show with his entourage and they gave him like six foot clearance so at one point we're walking down the transit corridor and as it curves around it's just me and leonard nimoy which is really just incredibly bizarre for me to be living that moment. <clears throat> my mom raised me on Star Trek, and my mother died in the year before that. And I remember coming back from her funeral and stepping out on the floor. And some joker in retail had at that moment decided to put on the continuous loop in the retail area um, an original series video instead of a one of the next generation or voyager or something and i hit the floor because the aliens come down the exit corridor from the ride exit through retail and we enter through retail and i step there just as the star tones from the original series stop and it was really amazing because it totally hit me what had just happened with my mom that was like the real big moment when I realized what happened, I actually had to turn around and get off of that floor for that moment because I could not handle it all coming back to me like that. Mm-hmm. I had the honor of breaking April Abrair as Tapril, our Vulcan, on the floor. Abrair, <laughs> that's a new one. Um, uh, uh, April actually was legendary in actually doing a very good job of keeping her Vulcan hood together. Mm-hmm. And there was a Just time that, that Jared Formby broke her. 
and uh, everyone talked about that. So I was really jealous of that, and <laughs> I actually broke her twice in five minutes. <laughs> just a look. Just she, a look. She had to charge off the floor. She composed herself. She came back into Quarks, and she got right back to me, and I got her again. And so I'm really proud of that. Um, I totally fucked up the transporter officer role when Jerry Ryan went through. Because once again, these people in their entourages, you know, the, the room flies, and Jerry Ryan was going through like 10,000 times. They were sending her and her son through over and over and over again. And she and I went to the same school. <clears throat> when I was uh, a senior and I was about to get out of Northwestern, I was working at a subway part-time job. And I saw her adverts in dark skies when she was doing that. And I saw Voyager, and I'm like, God damn, that face is fucking familiar. I can't place it. And we do the transporter show. The room flies. The lights come up. She's standing there, and I make eye contact with her, and I suddenly remember all the times I made subs for Jerry Ryan <laughs> in Evanston, Illinois. And I sat there, and I'm like, you, you might, you... You're not gonna. <laughs> you and I. You want extra anchovies? I <laughs> fucked up that Turkey show so rye. bad. Ensign Thomas came in, swept him away. You know, took uh, took uncomfortable Jerry Ryan and her group <laughs> off of the. And it was really funny because Eric I'm Randall. Sure you're not the first one to make her uncomfortable. Came walking up to me and he's like, "Have a little trouble there, Curzon." <laughs> I totally blew. I totally blew that show. So that was just, but it, it, I just, you know, I, yeah, it's really hard to actually hammer down something. I tried to be a Todd Bristow and mess around with the show one time, and I cracked myself up <laughs> so bad, I couldn't do the show. I'm like, the, one of the big lines was, go into the turbo, and you're taking him to the shuttle, and, 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 and Todd coined the whole, to the moon, or to the stars, or something, and right to the turbo. <laughs> So I figured I would do that. And I was with, with Nanette Soto and I think Heather Harmon on the bridge. Oh, and I went and I, I told him, I'm going to do it this time. And it's like straight lace, Kirsten, really? You know, so it's like I got a scrum and I'm like, to the moon. <laughs> and I walk up to the turbo and I do the turbo show, which is crashing and flashing. And, and St. Thomas, is there anything going on? Are you all, sir? We're, and I'm supposed to be saying, sir, we're in a free fall, sir. And instead, I'm like, <laughs> 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 you one of the audience people, this turbo is flashing and crashing. And one of the audience people looks at me and goes, pull yourself together. <laughs> Very dramatic moment. You were Holy just upset. Crap. You couldn't. Holy crap! <laughs> it was, you know, that was crazy. Get your act together, buddy. Because I was pretty good at holding together too. But what would crack me up is when other people, like Biggs, was a son of a bitch who was constantly <laughs> working on you. His big thing was the the blue rotation. They had those little fucking ear things with the mics because they're like you know communicating with operations operations we're ready to board the show they were fake yeah and they were fake no, we talking to and, and Biggs would turn his mic up so it's covering <laughs> one of his eyes <laughs> and so the room would fly up and there's this microphone right in front of his eye and he and here's six foot six Biggs looking at you e excuse me you mind telling us what's going on here but I would always fight through that Tools. but Biggs 
loved to break. And so he would start getting little chibi chibi chibi. And as soon as his as soon as his fucking mouth would curl, the bastard would get me and I'd start to lose it too, the fucker. He is, so. he is, he is a good and horrible audience. <laughs> the funnest yeah. thing about being an actor at the experience was trying to crack each other up and either having it backfire and cracking yourself up or, or cracking up people up more than you planned and ruining the show. <laughs> well, the key part is you go is you try to do it in the most serious way. I think there was, God, there was one where I walk in as the instant um, Thomas and I literally walk in. I'm like, I, oh, God, it was Andy Thorgerson, too. <laughs> of course. And I go in. He's a transporter officer. And I'm like, I'm Instant Thomas. This is my head of life, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, and I did it with the most straight face, and poor April was actually the blue person. And she's like, the look on her face is priceless. She's like, well, <laughs> the rule maker. I was like, you two, da 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 da. And the rest come with me. The rule maker strikes. And there was the again. unintentional crack ups, like when Bridget Kelly said, You're aboard the Fettuccine Starship Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> Or when Cameron Wright uh, finished uh, the Olympia show on Borg Invasion and said uh, about the safety visors, you know, uh, folks, uh, while you're exiting, please deposit your safety resentments in the bin provided nice. to your right. Safety and, resentments. And then, then there was awesome, awesome Bonnie, uh, who started with us, curvaceous dancer. Oh, Bon Bon? She, she filled out that uniform. Oh, God bless business. her soul. But she she didn't do a lot of acting. And when she was sim loader one time, she actually was about to start off the sim, and she says, please, ladies and gentlemen, do not unfasten your safety restraints during the flight. Because if you do, it will result in an abortion. <laughs> <laughs> She's not wrong. Bethy Lantis, please don't forget to pick up your safety visors on the way into the shuttle Olympia. They are very important for the safety of your face. <laughs> or Christy Menken, when the when the crowd was not moving fast enough into the Olympia, and they're supposed to get them in there within like 30 seconds. They're just like trudging along. And this is over an open mic and everything. She's like, ah, folks, hurry, the Borg are, are coming after us. She gives up. She's like, guys, just pretend there's a cake at the end of this one. <laughs> <laughs> I would also, I'd, I'd like to play the subtle ones, and I stole from John Stepp, pulling down people John down the transit Stepp. corridor as Instant Thomas. And it's like, ladies and gentlemen, please move this way. We need to get you onto the bridge. We'll explain everything there once we get there. But for now, and as the bridge doors would open, I need you in the rear. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, that was the area that <laughs> was yeah. called. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so we're talking about fucking with the show. Uh, <laughs> Monty Python fans will appreciate this, especially toward the end of my time when it was like, well, I'm not here for too many more weeks. I, I think remember I, you and I talking about this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, there, when you got onto the bridge, you were then in the hands of the person in the ops chair. And they would basically say, come in, in line up behind the panels. Do not touch the panels. And, and then... Uh, contact commander and so on so you go through the whole basically a safety spiel where i used to stand stand there watch the show and then we'll take you from there i dared him to do this by the way <laughs> and so i was you know watching a lot of monty python at the time and really enjoying the spanish inquisition so i decided to take that character and make that the uh the ops <laughs> officer that day 
And so it's like, I want you to follow two rules, just two rules. Run across there, do not touch the pedal. Three, three rules. Do not, and just do the whole thing. Ensign Biggles, contact Commander Riker. <laughs> Biggles flies undone. <laughs> well, I have, uh, you know, a skillion ridiculous memories from being on the floor. There's, you know, because we were right there in the thick of it with people all day long. Uh, for those of you who've listened to the Trek cast, the uh, my butthole in your face story is legendary. <laughs> Apparently, that is one of their most downloaded podcasts, uh, <laughs> where I recount the story of a young boy coming up to me as a, a, in full Klingon, and uh, I said, "Good, good day, young human. What is your name?" And he's like, blah, 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 blah. "Just a bunch of gibberish craziness." And I'm like, "Oh, that is a very intriguing name. What, 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 does, that, what does that name mean?" And he goes, "My butthole, my butthole in your face." <laughs> I was just dumbstruck. This tiny little guy saying this shit to a giant monster guy, and I just, I, I just was like, "All right." Not to mention <laughs> buttholes, like your favorite word. No, I mean, oh, it was. I mean, it was hilarious to Paul. Uh, Voha didn't know what to do. Uh, I was like, and so we will part ways. We will, we will, we will leave it at that, human. That is our exchange. Thank you very much. Thanks for playing. Um, so there was that. Uh, my favoriteest, my favoriteest thing, really, uh, if I had to have a number one, would be when uh, the ill-fated first Comic Con came to uh, Las Vegas. It didn't work, but the creators of Penny Arcade, heroes of mine, Mike and Jerry, were actually in attendance. Uh, Mike Rahulik and Jerry Holkins were actually there at the at the panel. So I had scouts go out and give them tickets from my little reserve of tickets to come and see the show. And they ended up bringing Robert Koo, their business manager, and uh, uh, Kiko, uh, I can't, I'm not going to pronounce his last name wrong, who was there. Uh, they had just started partnering with him for T-shirt designs and everything. This was right before Penny Arcade really blew up. And I and the, 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 the couple of... Uh, years before that had been you know spreading the penny arcade to all the guys in the uh, restaurant and everything and and everybody you know so everybody was getting in on that because we were all video game nerds too and it was just really cool they went through the ride had a good time and i got to meet them in character i have pictures of voha with them it's really cool and then i got to get out of makeup and come back and and actually talk to them for a little bit and it was shirts huh we got t-shirts from them oh they gave us so much stuff we went the next day to the the convention and they just loaded us up with free crap because they couldn't give anything away during that convention because it was such a bust but i've still got tons of t-shirts from them uh they were so generous and so kind and it was really cool they actually mentioned that moment on one of their podcasts as kind of a zenith moment for them as an organization uh of like just camaraderie for them they were all hanging out because the bartenders Jeff yeah we and, we raw and i hooked them up at the big bar time, yeah. hot drinks and you know loaded up and they all just had a really great time i think it was one of the first nights that mike ever drank so that, i mean it was like just one of those nights where they really bonded and the fact that they were in a a, a, a far off location where the, the the event they went to didn't work but they saw that other people still were into what they were doing. Just you know, it was just kind of cool. So they actually mentioned that experience, and um, so I feel like I have a tiny little piece of uh, Penny Arcade history there, which is uh, to me as important <laughs> as as uh, any of the Star Trek stuff too. I mean, absolutely. It, you know what I mean? It's just like the, those guys are are truly heroes to me, and what they've gone on to do, just incredible. But. Uh, if you weren't looking for a ridiculous memory, my favorite thing was like you were talking about, we'd go out on the floor and promote, you know, well, uh, there was this one time where 
the Hilton was actually having a health convention oh, yeah, for their that. employees. Okay, so we went down to this uh, one uh, section of the what do you call that the the convention area, and one big convention hall space had was nothing but health benefit stuff. So the empl- but for some reason they thought it'd be good for the Star Trek people to go down there and <laughs> kind of be hey. More reason to be hanging out at the health fair because there's Star Trek guys here. We had some tenuous connection to it. I don't know what it was. But anyway, it's all this weird stuff. And I'm down there with Ferengis and other Klingons. And we, we went down there off and on for, I think we did two days of this. Well, finally, myself and Quan are down there. And Quan would always just start shit with me constantly. We were all, always on his case. He was the other Ferengi. Well, we went around to this one booth where they had the scooters the mobility scooters right for the fatties or can't walks right and so and so we had been eyeing these things for most of the afternoon Quan, of course got on one and i'm just like uh because i'm kind of like cursing like this don't you know we're not gonna this is gonna get bad so he gets on it and starts tooling around and he's just and he's like, oh, see you later, Voha. <laughs> and, like, you know, and he's like lapping me in this in this convention hall, just going all around and you know, bare, almost knocking over tables, just acting a fool. <laughs> and uh, and I'm just like, oh god. And he's on his about his third time around, and the guys running the booth look at me and they're like, aren't you gonna go get him? <laughs> And they point to the other scooter there. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. Guys, that's permission enough for me. Great advertising I, for their scooters. Dude, you know? so, so it had a basket on the front. Oh, yeah. So I took my bat left I and I stuck it on the basket, laid it lengthwise on the basket. So I had this big death claw on this mobility scooter. And I start coming, I started it up and I go to meet him and I come around a corner and he sees me with this fucking thing and he loses his mind. He just starts laughing so hard and he puts it in reverse and he's like, like, you will perish. There is no escape. I have you bested. It was just too much. It was just too much. So that's the kind of loony bullshit yeah, there were little things like that, but that one was a real highlight for me. I saw you and Bleeg do something similar in Quarks one night when I was a civilian, just yeah. in there drinking. Uh, it, it must have been inspired by that event. It <laughs> sticks out in my mind. It must have been fresh off of that because you and Bleeg actually did almost that same thing. But oh it, well, Bleeg would always it, commandeer people's fatty go rounds. He did that this he time. Would I couldn't always believe he did do it. it, and then he crashed it into a table. Yes, <laughs> I remember that. He <laughs> fell was, over. Bleeg. <laughs> Get off of that. I was just always... Did he, like, run it into the wall when he was trying to back yeah, up? It was, like, table, and, wall, and he's table, doing, wall. And he's doing his classic bleak slash Agnello sound effects. And he just totally banged. And, and the woman there sitting there with a cane just kind of like, what the fuck is happening to my scooter? Like, they're not in on the joke at all. And, they and Frankie don't give a fuck. I don't care. That was the other thing, too. Ferengi would constantly steal people's purses. <laughs> and people would be like, give me my fucking purse. <laughs> it's ridiculous. The, uh, oh, the Ferengi, the Klingons, the, there, were, there were floor characters, dedicated actors that were um, hired specifically to be floor, walk around floor characters at that place. The Borg were kind of a gray subject. We were hired to be basically movable props in the Borg invasion attraction upstairs. With the exception but of Hartnett. With the, okay, Michael Hartnett was the only ever official 
Borg walk around character who would talk and interact with the guests. Yeah. And that's what that was his specialty. He would every very rarely occasionally come through Borg invasion and actually join the attraction and scare people in there. He was great at it. But the rest of us Borg, and there were many of us over the years, we rotated through. Uh, we were only movable props in the show. But when we were first hired, they didn't know what to do with us to make us full-time, so they rotated us through the floor. Sometimes we'd, we'd do four days in the attraction, scaring people with no lines, and then one day out on the floor interacting with always guests. always give Vernon my day. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate, <laughs> and I appreciate that because like, I loved it. Uh, Vernon? Uh, they, this, uh, many of the serious actors who were floor aliens hated this idea. They hated the Borg. They hated the fact that they weren't large caliber actors. They were just kind of like moving props out there, saying an occasional phrase. Uh, I won't get into that. That's a whole other thing. But it lasted for about, I'd say, six months. We were out there on the floor. Eventually, they just got rid of that and just had us in the attraction. Well, I mean, what little I know of the Borg, they don't really say much. True. Unless you're we a liberated drone. Three of six, Michael Hartnett was a liberated drone. So that gave well, him. Yeah. If you're going to let Michael Hartnett interact with people, there's no way you're going to get him to not talk. <laughs> <laughs> Now, see, Paul, I'm surprised that of, of all the Voha stories, you didn't go with the, the Mila Kunis story, because that was my oh, favorite Voha oh, one. That was my favorite celebrity did, moment did ever. Did Voha yeah. meet, meet Mila So Kunis? the rumor was, and it was true, Mila Kunis and, and Macaulay Culkin were out in the experience, and I guess their relationship was... Macaulay. They were they dated forever. The bar. They dated for a long time. They were yeah, probably broken up that. at this time, but they were still hanging out. But anyway, so they were hanging out, and I made it a policy not to go and... Uh, personality, you know, yeah. celebrity hunt. I wasn't going to do it. But I was like, oh, Mila Kunis. And this was back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> I was already like, Mila Kunis. Uh, uh, back in the day, like she's hideous now? Bar- no, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Before she was, before she was <laughs> super she, popular. Before she was so big. I mean, she was she was still very popular, but no, not, not it, was not, it was not, it was what? She was still, she was still barely still doing 2005, yeah, 2006, yeah, 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 yeah. maybe. Yeah, I get, I get, so it was early. And anyway. Uh, but Before I thought, she I, went down on Natalie you mean Portman's back vagina. when she was 15? Exactly. Yeah. So I thought the world of her. No, she, she was, was like 20. Yeah, she was 20 or something. Anyway. Barely. No, she had to be 21 because she was sitting at the bar, and uh, we, our bar had a blind corner. Like, it was like, it wrapped around, and there was kind of this weird dark area. The dark side of the bar. That, that yeah. had only like five chairs. And because it, well, it, the, the whole, the seating wrapped all the way around, but there were like five chairs on the very end of this, this blind corner. That's where they used and to that's sit where the black a lot people. Of people used to. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they sit. had a spot for you. <laughs> <laughs> that cleaning dishes. <laughs> but anyway, they, they were sitting on the very end of the bar around the corner where people weren't messing with them. Yeah. But anyway. Right. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I was, you know. I, I hadn't gone seeking them, but everybody kept coming back like, oh, did you see Mila Kunis? Hey, oh, yeah, Mila Kunis. And I'm like, oh, burger, burger, blur. I'm just doing my thing. So I'm just on my normal, regular walk, and I come heading into the bar on my normal, regular walk, and right as right at the entrance of the bar, I'm heading in. She's heading out, and she catches me right there, and she looks right at me. She goes, now that's a sexy Klingon. And I was just like. She looked him up and down, too. It wasn't like it just lock eyes. Like, looked him up and down. And see, he was there to see it. So, yeah, I was like, I was like, well, my life is officially done. Now, I have accomplished all that I need. As Boha, didn't you just say, like, Machka, and then walk Yeah, I just walked on, on yeah. Machka. All right, so I mean, the second half of this story. What she's saying is, yeah. as hideous creatures go, 
No. Paul Mattingly makes a rather as, attractive, as far hideous as the, creature. Well, the other creatures, the other creatures that she had seen, I fit the bill. I don't know. So right after this, Paul goes into the back kitchen area where it's like we have these solid doors and they close and they're fairly soundproof. Goes right back in there and turns into childlike Paul and starts <laughs> literally. He's in full costume, these giant platform boots, and he's hopping up and down, going. Hee-hee-hee. <laughs> <laughs> Mila Kunis just called me a sexy Klingon. It was pretty much yeah. That'll, that'll, go, that'll be on my. That could be on my tombstone. Mila Kunis regarded <laughs> the, me as a sexy stuff, Klingon. Best stuff happened on that dark side of the bar where <laughs> yeah. it was away from you know the lights and the general public and everything. Well, that's mm-hmm. I, I was there as a civilian once. You've got Tapril, which is a Vulcan character played by April Abair. You've got Quan, which very funny Ferengi played by Jared Formby, talking to this. Uh, Jared's uh, Quan is just like leaning on the bar. He's got nothing to do. He's <laughs> and uh, Tapril is engaged with a guest, an older woman who said her son sent her there. <laughs> she knew nothing about Star. I know nothing about Star Trek. My son told me I should come here and check it out. Also, I'm. I guess you have pointed ears, so you're a Vulcan? I'm supposed to ask you what a, a Vulcan neck pinch is. Mm-hmm. And Tapril, <laughs> seeing Quan right next to her, just kind of nonchalantly leaning on the bar, goes, well, human, it goes something like this. And just puts the nerve pinch on Quan. Quan just goes, oh! <laughs> it hits the bar, falls on the floor, lays out. And he <laughs> stays there for an uncomfortable amount of time <laughs> until Tapril and the guests just walk away. And I guess uh, Jared pretended to regain consciousness about 10 minutes later or so. <laughs> I can see Jared did. Yeah. I right. take a nap now. Yeah. Yeah. It, we should have had color monitors recording in that bar 24 hours a day and make made a gag reel out of it because the the funniest shit in the world happened there. And all we have are memories. There's no video of it. Doesn't need to admit it. Oh, I'm glad there's no video of <laughs> that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Doesn't need to there, oh, like it, when you passed out upstairs. Oh my God, <laughs> Carl! Carl was a uh, uh, he was doing lead once. He was he was doing like double shifts. He was totally stressed out. No sleep. Uh, he runs through backstage and goes, "Guys, guys, we got a," and then runs through. The, and I'm like, "Carl, what did you just say?" And he leans back through the door and he goes, "I said." <laughs> he collapses on one of our actresses, Kimmy Kid. I thought he was kidding. I thought he was joking that he was very tired. But no, he was, was eyes out. rolled in the back of his head, passed out, hit the concrete. Oh. And I had to grab a radio. My first, this was before I had any radio work to do there. I, Hi, this is, I'm a Borg upstairs. We've got, there's a guy passed out. Carl's passed out. Vernon, that's an employee eleven one. Okay, employee eleven one. Employee eleven one. It was a little late at that point. <laughs> David Levan gets on. I'm like, David, it's Carl, and he goes, "All right, I'll be right there." Again, because no, I think it's a rat's ass. If you've seen Django Unchained, Samuel L. Jackson's character. It, that's a lot like Carl. Lo- I mean, uh, David Levan. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, David Levon is Stephen from uh, Django Unchained. And for those that may not know, David, the relationship between David and I is unique to say the least. Um, We're literally like two peas. Father and Sonny. Yeah, I would would say yeah. You know, we're literally like two peas in a pod, and most people think that he's like my dad, and so. By the time he got up, I think I was semi-conscious. By the time he got up, yes. By the time he got up there. I was you were like, you were regaining consciousness. You were wondering why you were on the floor. Yeah, that was what I was like. What happened? 
They're like, you need the rest. No, I got this. I'm up. <laughs> and I literally did. He I did. Know. He ran back into Jenny Lane and continued to bark out <laughs> orders to the, the cast. Order. I was like, get back. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I need the secondary. Well, we so, need to uh, oh, wait. widen this cast down. Any other uh, quick stories you want to throw out real quick? Um, the only one I was going to say, when you guys were talking about celebrities, I like to go on the record for saying probably the coolest celebrity ever that I met was um, Kate Milgram. And I actually had the pleasure um, being there with, at the time I was, like, just about every character, um, person encounter we had, we went through. But we, they were doing, God knows whatever happened to these things. They were promoting cell phone watches. And so it was her and LeVar Burton. He was wearing one. LeVar Burton was wearing Yeah. Was that? They, um, him and LeVar, LeVar Burton and Kel, um, Kate Mugra was doing a promotion for it. So on the bridge, they would do some photo shoots and a filming, yada, 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 and the whole thing. I need to be closer. <laughs> no, Vernon, I'm watching this little. One. We were suggesting that perhaps when you said that Lavar Burton was wearing oh, one, Lavar Burton perhaps was wearing a phone a microphone. Sorry, but you've spent the last five minutes trying to figure out what we were <laughs> trying to tell you <laughs> while Carl's telling a story. We, if we could have taped that bit of <laughs> that pantomime. video, yeah, that was some classic um, vaudeville. I, I wish there were cameras that could have caught all these memories actor. that we have. <laughs> but I would have to say, in the coolest moment ever, we go through the whole thing. Um, they do the photo shoot on the bridge and stuff. And as a Starfleet officer, say they call us like elite guards or something for that. You would escort them out. And her husband, you know, was sitting there yapping and talking. And she turns around and she was like, "So do you guys have these things?" And we're taught don't talk to them. Don't when you walk them out. You're very basic. Very. I was like, oh, no, no. She's like, you know, you can open your mouth and talk. And I was like, no. <laughs> and granted, we never got them, but she literally stops everything. I'm trying to remember who the lead on at that time was. And she's like, um, so all the staff will get these, right? Wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they're like, no, no. She's like, no, no, really. I really want. And she's like, I had such a great time. Just sat there. And she stopped before we can even get in the elevator. I'm thinking, I really got to get back to work. But she stopped. She wanted to make sure she talked, had a great time. The whole kid and caboodle, which was a change from some of the other actors we dealt with. And we yeah. won't say Chase's name. <laughs> uh, I, Chase MasterCard. I do. Uh, just suddenly dawned on me Priceless. here. Um, Armin Shimmerman, who played Cork on Deep Space Nine and the lot. Um, big, big fan of our Cork's replica. Like, absolutely loved going there. Yeah. Um, uh, was... And served up a warp core breach on one of the episodes of Deep Space Nine. His yes, way, yes, he did. His way, Absolutely. season four. That episode, I used to play that every now and then because people was like, "Was like this ever on the TV show?" I was like, funny, you should mention that. Pop the disc in. So um, it was at the experience first. Then it was yes. at the experience first. It was so popular. They actually that did it on the, the show. The writers brought it. it on to the show. That's one of those examples. There are a, a peppering few handful of factoid little uh, Korath. Korath. Korath was yeah. added to the uh, final episode, episode of Voyager, Voyager. called yep. Endgame yep. as a nod to Star Trek The Experience. And it's played it. by the same actor, Von Armstrong. Von Armstrong. Yep. Von, you yeah, rock. So we but, did tie into the actual canon continuity of the show. But uh, yeah, Armin absolutely loved the place, was completely heartbroken when the place was closing down. Um, on the final day of the convention, the final year that we were open, he actually came into the restaurant, did kind of a walk around, just kind of like, you know, took it in uh, memories. Because um, he told myself and Darren, the other bartender, uh, who was going to be here tonight, but uh, was unavoidably uh, detained elsewhere, um, that 
You know, he was going to miss this place not one not only because he really enjoyed the restaurant and the drinks and the staff and and how we were every day recreating the Quarks experience, but also because this was the last replica of seven years of his adult life and not only in it after the show shut down after deep space nine shut down he said the you know it was nice to know that it existed in some form and now it was truly over so that was kind of a i a thought we weren't supposed to do this well i i wasn't <laughs> going there i was just going to say how much Paul he said we weren't going to do this well, actually be before i do wind this down um if you have any questions about the experience we're glad to answer them you can write to us comments at uglycouchshow.com or at leave a question at facebook or on our ugly couch show websites um yeah, but if you please gather, send me or, all the questions you have. Yes, <laughs> or you can direct I your will, questions to that brick wall over there. I'll gladly answer them. Or your question might already be answered for you. Uh, Vernon, really quickly, tell us about the uh, your uh, uh, documentary. I'm still working on part four. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's all right. Okay, but, but what's there? <laughs> I, I have an amateur documentary series that I am slowly producing and putting online. There's three parts done. It's a twelve part series. Uh, you can find it at blip.tv. Star Trek: My Experience. Um, Can I be in it? You you are in it. You haven't watched part three. Uh, there's yeah. The, the episode's called the Rule Maker. It's called the Rule Maker. <laughs> is is being called Carl Carl Reed. the Rule Maker? The beginning of the end. No, you were watching a loop. There's a thing. No, we're gonna have to talk about this off screen. But uh, no, there's a. I have a site on Facebook called Star Trek My Experience. It's where I uh, post photos and the crew manifest and everything uh, I could possibly have. I have a giant archive of Star Trek. A big experience. place for fan gathering too. Yeah, Lots absolutely. Lots of people go through there. So if you're a fan who hasn't gotten in contact with us yet through Facebook, Star Trek My Experience is one place to go. You can check out the cards of us. And the reason I call it My Experience, uh, it's it, it, it's what it it's what the place meant to you. It's what the place meant to me. It's my experience. Uh, it's it, it encourages you to add Stories, pictures, uh, whatever, mm-hmm. to uh, what that place meant to you. It's very in depth. It's very intriguing. Like I mean, and he's being methodical about it to the point of insane obsession. But that's the <laughs> Trekkie way. So it's it's very legit. Please go check it. it out. We'll have a link up on the site as well. Thank you. Um, because it is great. Um, and yeah, and the the cool thing is, like we can get together and do this again sometime because it never goes away. Trek is still very relevant, more relevant than even when uh, the experience was open. And we've still got, thankfully, the biggest convention in the world still happens right here on our back door. So if you guys ever come to the Star Trek convention, the big creation convention, I believe this year it's at Caesars? Rio. Rio. It is at the Rio. Okay. So this year at the Rio. So if you ever come to this convention... um, if you look up some a few quick internet searches, you will find a lot of old Star Trek The Experience folks wandering around in those hallowed halls, uh, along with all the cosplayers that you've seen on the documentaries. And- I got recognized one time when I went, well, a couple times, the one time I went down to the Rio one, it, yep. it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. It was very bizarre. It's Guys, pretty cool. Go to McMullen's Irish Pub when you're in Vegas, and uh, Darren will serve you up uh, any Star Trek drink you want. Off He'll the even make menu. you a warp core breach. Go to uh, Ka at the mm. MGM or the Venetian uh, gondola rides, and you will see what is uh, termed as the Star Trek graveyard. All the actors <laughs> it's true. used to play. At Star Trek, we're all are now gondoliers or gatekeepers. Whatever we can, yeah. Uh, we're we're spread out all over the place, folks. We're still in town, and we're keeping the memory alive. It's not really dead, you know. 
as long as we remember it. That is so <laughs> cheesy. <laughs> I just threw up. God a bless bit. D. Out. Kelly, but My, that was so cheesy. One last thing I want to comment on is uh, uh, it's funny you mentioned this, the the actors or the Star Trek graveyard because acting's an extremely competitive thing. I just recently read something. Uh, a um, comment from Brian Cranston, I believe sure. it is, was talking about you really have to be dedicated as an actor. You really have to be hungry to function in this profession. And one of the problems I've had as an actor is I haven't always had that. I love acting, but I haven't been so hungry as to go after it like I've needed to. And there was a point when I was working Borg when I was very tired and... As a, as, a lo- as a lark, when they had announced that they were doing Andorian auditions, they originally were doing female Andorian, because we had one briefly. Wonderful Sarah. female Andorian. Sarah, 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 Ball. Sarah Ball, who left. And they wanted to refill her position. And I think it was I almost... Slow <laughs> down! Oh, boy. Hey, there. Red alert! Hey, Have a drink, everyone. For once, I'm glad your mic wasn't by your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so... And I think it was kind of a gimme that it was probably going to be April, and it was going to cre- eventually lead to her character, Tarim. But I stopped by the manager's office, Lynn Turner, and I popped my head in because I did have fondness for Andorians, and I said, Lynn, this Andorian audition is, it, is, is, audition, is it limited to just females, or can males do it too? And he was like, uh, well, I hadn't, I mean, we just, uh, oh, yeah, sure. And he basically <laughs> opened it up. So Vernon, being the helpful guy that he is, who loves vid- video editing and all that stuff, once the audition word got around and people were starting to get into it and get prepared, he prepped an Andorian VHS tape for all of us. And he... VHS is the media mommies and daddies used to watch. Yes. <laughs> and he grabbed snippets of every Andorian scene in Star Trek, which could actually fit on a single two-hour VHS tape. <laughs> but he grabbed snippets of every little scene, and he passed them out to us. And the night before the audition, I plunked that tape in, and I let it run because I'm like, yeah, you know, I just, I'm going to try this as a lark and fuck it. And, and I watched that tape, and before it was over, I was like, I fucking want this. <laughs> and it made me hungry for it. And it was, and I, I did, it, I, my audition turned Lynn around to the point where he's like, okay, we're going to have Kirsten and April. And then that's where April split the Vulcan and the Andorian. And I was Castran and she was sometimes Tarin. And that was one of those moments for me that really made gave me a bit of that hunger and i wanted to thank you vernon for that tape and that moment as well as for all the work that you have been doing with star trek my experience one thing he's left out folks is he has gotten video and pictures from people all over the world the world who have heard of what he's doing and they have sent him their footage of their experiences so he doesn't just have stuff that we the actors who have participated there, we the workers who have participated there, he has stuff from fans the world over who have given him information, recordings, and so on that has contributed to that documentary. And thank, thank you, you everybody for your out there. ongoing effort. Oh, and my pleasure. Thank, thank you. you for that weird moment, especially that moment when two Borg were sitting in that <gasps> darkened hallway 
And I'm sitting next to Neurotic Borg in this stinky, ammonia-smelling motherfucking swimsuit in the dark, waiting that next show in the uncomfortable uh, um, folding chair. And next to me, I hear this voice after about three minutes of silence. Greatest job ever. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us for this special episode, going back to the experience. Uh, Next week, we're going to our regular program, bringing you the geek news. But until next week, I am Master Torgo. I'm the famous Paul. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Captain Luddite. Homer Simpson. (laughs) And Big Black. Thanks, guys, for joining us. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. God, you just we could just go on forever on this, can't we? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's the scary thing. Is so it really was, could go was forever? Was there not much of the new generation before the Borg experience? The was, uh, the original Klingon, the, right? The, the experience was was that was that new generation? It was the next generation, yeah. So yeah. it wasn't the original show. No, we never had no. anything that was based on the original. So there's no. like no original series. No, stuff. we had there the was, Star. That's what Shatner <laughs> used Yeah, there was stuff. Um, <laughs> that's what Shatner hated about the place. It had little or nothing to do. I can't What's hear that? you. What's that? What? What are you saying? I thought you guys stopped. No, it's still going. <laughs> we always oh, keep oh, going. Press this button. <laughs> Shat- don't Shat- stop. Shatner hated the experience. He only went there once in like uh, uh, 1996 yeah. to uh, do a promo for the 40th anniversary. He hated the place because it had little or nothing to do uh, with, with his, his classic era. trek. Yeah. With his um, the museum was but, full of elements from yeah, the original series. His, okay. his, the timeline was all representative of that. Of course. Yeah. And many props Nomad from those was old in there. days. Yeah, I mean, some really cool stuff. But one of his, but one of his is, man yeah. boob shirts was in there. And, but, you know, the, a lot of the design really did come from DS9 and Next Gen as far as style. Well, I mean, DS9 was, was playing they were going, at the time. Yes. It was going at the it time. It was a total 24th century yeah. motif yeah. versus 23rd. Yeah. Yep. Because DS9 was on TV and at the time. there were rumors. And the movies were happening. There were the rumors for a little while of a possible uh, secondary kind of spot. Like when we first hit it big, they were talking about maybe tricking out a section of rooms up in the Hilton to look very uh, 23rd century. You know, the Hollywood Wax Museum was also getting rid of their... Uh, original series replicas and bridge yeah. set and r- rumored we were going to get that there too. was a possibility that we'd open up a secondary kind of little area somewhere in the Hilton something that would be more old school Trek mm-hmm. but that never came to fruition no it never did interesting but we, there were, we closed there, I mean, like there were two tribbles everywhere there was still a little you know stuff to I it I actually but. almost pulled, pulled one out and brought one in I still have one of the original yeah tribbles yeah, that vibrating you, tribbles all yeah, around yeah you knock all over the place. I have 27 of them. I have one that a guest left Jesus. at the Hard Rock Cafe <laughs> and Todd brought home okay. in a bag. Vernon actually only had one original. Ah, <laughs> 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 Quattro Trita Kaylee. Quattro Trita Kaylee. <laughs>